WASP News brings you this special report live from a press conference in New York. The following are the standards and practices that I, Brian Sovereign, have agreed to going forward from episode 200 of my woo, insanely popular and sexy, <clears throat> sorry, my science and tech news show, Sovereign Tech, as requested by some of the new affiliates that have picked up the show. Throughout the entirety of the two hours, every week, I will no longer use the term woo. All profanity will be relegated to the use of the words damn and hell. The following words will no longer be used on Sovereign Tech. Fuck, shit, ass, and its derivatives like asshat, bitch, slap nuts. Oh, fuck, I can't agree to this. Just finish the statement, Mr. Sovereign. <sighs> and the words poppycock bullshit and motherfucker will also no longer be used within the two hour time frame. Now, as it pertains to certain fictional and non-fictional aspects of sovereign tech, the following guidelines have been ordered by the new governmental body, the conservative oversight committee for kids safety for short Cox. The guidelines from Cox state all mentions of sex outside of procreation will immediately cease all moaning and any sexual actions by the character of Agent Sovereign will also immediately cease. Both men and women on the show are no longer to be portrayed as sexual creatures. This contract is... For fuck's sake! Ladies, Z, and gentlemen of the press, I can't agree to this. Get this load of crap out of here. Questions from the press? Mr. Sovereign, Mr. Sovereign, does this mean you are going to continue your nonviolent destruction of Western civilization? Yes, absolutely. Um, Mr. Sovereign, what's your hotel room number? Room 603. Please wear something black. Next, uh, yes, Jane Smith? Uh... Brian, uh, Mr. Sovereign, is it true that you think the alt-right is, quote, a gackle of insecure losers that harass people online because in real life their pipsqueak voices couldn't even be heard? I don't know if that's an exact quote, Jane, but uh, I wouldn't disagree with it. Mr. Sovereign, do you have any thoughts on the election of Donald Trump? I have about as many thoughts about him as he has in his head, uh, so I have little to no thoughts on him. Next, uh, yes, Jane, again. Uh, can I come up to room 603 with that reporter over there, too? Absolutely. Uh, bring that Starfleet uniform I bought you, if you would. Uh, next. Mr. Sovereign, can I wear a Starfleet uniform, too? Yes, but uh, please make sure it's the one with the miniskirt. Uh, next. Mr. Sovereign, you just threw away a major contract deal with some very large radio networks. Does this mean you're going to continue Sovereign Tech's campaign of cultural subversion, degeneracy, debauchery, and unconventional ideologies? You bet your ass got. Mr. Sovereign, some paint you as a superhero. But to me, it sounds more like you're a super villain. Well, now that you mention it.
after last week. Woo! How do you like me now? The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star. Here for you for oh, 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 the, oh, the excitement of episode 200, 200 episodes. Actually, honestly, it's probably more like not even counting Patreon episodes. It's probably more like episode 300. Because we've done so many. But after 199C, the reviews came in. People were emailing me. They were sending me the Patreon messages. They were sending me messages in all kinds of ways. They were sending the tweets. And they said, Stallion, whoo, how, how did you do all of that? And let me tell you, that shit ain't easy. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. That is not easy at all. Whoo. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, how much time I, I said it on, on various social media at the time. I didn't want to see another audacity screen for like a year because I just, I, I sat, it seemed like forever and for days, just getting that all up and ready. And I just wanted to let you know, I mean, Hey, I apologize. And I mean this, I apologize for coming out on Tuesday, but I think after four years of coming out with the show every single Saturday, you know, not missing a week, whatever that I, you know, I, I deserve one little break. How about that? Woo. So if you haven't heard it yet, you need to check it out. Episode 199C. And I know not everybody's checked it out yet. And it's probably because it kind of came out a little bit later, whatever. Uh, but please do. Uh, people are loving it. People have a ton of questions. And actually, I'm going to be doing a making special for Patreon uh, where I'm, I'm just going to kind of talk about, you know, a lot of the nuance and a lot of different things and sort of what it took, what I did to, uh, to actually make that episode. I, I am going to be uh, releasing that soon. So if you're not a sovereign tech patron yet, whoo, it's about time. And it's only, it's pay what you want. It's only a dollar a month. That's all I ask. A lot of people pay more. You can do that if you want to, but at least a dollar. And then you get access to the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of bonus content. And oh, we had a hell of a Q and a. This week, I had the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on, and baby, we talked it up. We talked uh, we talked sex, BDSM, we talked shit about people, oh, all the things that people love, right? It's what you listen to podcasts for, woo, and we were there for you. So you want to get on board with that. And folks, if you're wondering, like, well, do I really want to become a patron? Because, you know, what if this is all just a flash in the pan? Baby, I got 200 episodes. That tell you, this ain't a flash in the pan. I got four years on me. That tells you, this ain't a flash in the pan. This is the real deal. I've got thousands and thousands of listeners that, woo, they'll tell you, there's no flash in the pan here. The Golden Stallion delivers to you every single week, no matter what. Even if sometimes it comes out on a Tuesday. But baby, who says nothing good comes out on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> oh, and I, I got to tell you, so you, you heard that little, that fun little opening press conference bit I just did there. Uh, just to be clear, <laughs> Woo, we'll get into a little bit of this uh, later on in the show. But um, yeah, th this I'm not the new uh, I usually do every 25 episodes. I do the new interstitials. I do new intros and all this stuff. Right. Um, the new ones will be coming. Uh, aren't going to be released on this episode. Uh, they're going to be coming. So just because you don't hear a whole bunch of, you know, hooting and hollering from some, you know, super intelligent, beautiful women or something during the, you know, during the interstitials of the show, don't worry. It's coming. I am not backpedaling. If anything, woo, I am going to ramp it up on this show. All the sex, all the good times, 
all the, I mean, all the things that really, in my opinion, anyway, I like to have in all of my entertainment. And I mean, every goddamn stitch of it. So don't you worry. If you don't hear any of that moaning, you don't hear any of the good times in this episode. Woo. They're coming. But anyway, let's, uh, wow. I, I have so much to get into, uh, this week, a lot of great stories. And what I will, what you do get in this episode though, is every, also every 25 episodes, I change things up. I like, I, I either bring in new segments or I remove segments. Uh, you know, I just, I like to shake it up, keep things fresh. And 25 episodes adds up to six months. Uh, so We've got, uh, we have some new segments for this episode and I won't spoil the surprise right now. You'll find them out as we go along, but I think you're going to like them. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, I will tell you one that isn't here. Game talk is not here, but we're, we're going to talk some gaming in our very first, uh, uh, well, the, the first part of what's no longer the random access. It's what I'm actually going to call from now on. And this came from a listener actually came from a, just a great fucking guy. That being Chris Pasquini. I love this guy. He came up, he says, you know, he says, if you don't want to call it the random access, how about calling it? Here's just an idea. It's like, how about calling it the foreplay? And I was like, oh, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because come to find out CNET now has a, a vlog, you know, video blog, right? They, they have their own little news show that they call random access. Now they just started it, you know, a few months ago. I've been doing the random access for years and I got the name random access from one of my favorite shows of all time. That being the computer chronicles, which ran for like 30 years. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, which was, it was a show on PBS that, you know, they, they showed the, you know, all the latest tech news and everything. I mean, they were the computer show for so long, especially pre-internet. They were, they were where you got a lot of your information. I love that goddamn show. I mean, I really do. Even though it's annoying, <laughs> I would always laugh when they'd have, they'd run that little ad that say, Hey, and don't copy that floppy because baby, I always copy those floppies. <laughs> I, I did even back then. Uh, uh, but anyway, I love that. And so that's where I took random access from was from the computer chronicles. Now, CNET probably didn't give the computer chronicles a stitch of credit as where I make sure I always give credit to everybody and everything. Um, but so I'm going to change the name of the opening salvo of stories where I just cover little news tidbits. I am going to change that from random access to thanks to Chris Pasquini, the foreplay as in like, you know, because the end of the show is what the climax. So we start off with some foreplay. I love it. <laughs> I think it's a great fucking idea. So let's get into the foreplay. Now, I, like I said, the first bit of the foreplay is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be about gaming. If you are not into gaming, please, please. It's, it's so important to listen to this because this is far more uh, than about just being about games. Okay. This is a really important story. Uh, I, I think it has a lot to say. So, so I want to, I want to get into that, but just before I do, I want to, I really want to get out, you know, since this is episode 200, since this is kind of a, kind of an anniversary, I don't know if you make such a big deal when you get to episode 300, when you get to episode 100, you make a big deal. And I made a big deal when episode 100 came out. Uh, I think episode 200, you kind of make a big deal because you know, you broke that marker, but then I, I think after episode 200, you really don't do anything special until like maybe episode 500, then you've got a celebration. And then episode 1000, you know, then you've got a celebration and you better believe that the man of tomorrow is going to go to episode 1000 because <laughs> I put four digits from the very first episode of Sovereign Tech. I put four digits, uh, you know, for, for the episode numbers back then, because I knew that I was going to take it that far. And if that's, 
you know, however many years that is from now, I'm going to be here because I can do this every single week, all week, and I can make it as entertaining as anything on the planet today. I've gotten the emails that people told me, and I don't mean to boast, but it's not bragging if you can back it up. And he said, he said, Brian, you are just bar none, one of the best things on the internet. Woo. I am as some people call the most interesting anarchist in the world today. And I proved it and I've proven it for 200 episodes. Woo. I'm here now. I just want to say thank you. And that was a way of saying thank you. I want to say thank you to all of the Sovereign Tech listeners. Some of you have been here since episode one. And holy shit, you are amazing. (laughs) Not because, I mean, you're amazing for a million reasons, of course. But it's not because, you know, you've you've necessarily stuck with me or because like, wow, you know, the show sucked at one point. I don't think it ever really sucked. Um, But just that, you know, I've had some changes of heart throughout the history of the show. I really have, you know, I mean, some things have changed drastically. And in fact, honestly, we're going to get into this during our main story. I think the whole tech world, the whole tech landscape has significantly changed. There has been a huge milestone that has been reached really even just in the past week has kind of hammered the fact home. Um, so thank you so much for being with me through all of this through for four years. It's amazing. Thank you so much to the sponsors of sovereign tech that have been around for so long. Uh, and even the new ones, thank you so much because you, you pay the bills around here in a very real sense. You make all this go round and round and you validate the importance of the message that sovereign tech gets out there. The importance of what sovereign tech is and does. So it means the world to me. And also I would be remiss if I did not thank all of the Sovereign Tech patrons on Patreon. Uh, you guys really, you guys and gals and Zs, you really, really, uh, you know, you're so key, so important. And I'm so honored that you're that you're all so interested in a lot of the things that I have to say and, you know, in all the extra episodes that I provide because it's value for value on Sovereign Tech, baby. OK, and, you know, and you're going to, you know, eventually you guys, you guys and gals, you're going to be the ones that bring this show to the next level because you'll be the ones that when there's enough that we can do two episodes of sovereign tech a week and who knows where it could even go beyond, you know, from there. In fact, I added some new, uh, reward goals or not rewards, but, uh, you know, what would you call them? Just goals. I guess I added some new goals to the sovereign tech Patreon page where eventually you could get to the point. Like if you loved what happened in one ninety nine C I added to where if we get to a certain, you know, amount of money per month getting made, and I know it could happen. If every sovereign tech listener just laid down a dollar, everything that I, that I want to do with this show could, could happen. And I know that we could reach whole new audiences, even though I know I'm reaching, you know, a bunch of different met, uh, you know, demographics. And I'm so, uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to do that. Um, but we could get to the point to where, Hey, maybe I could do like a 15 to 30 minute, uh, you know, fictional episode almost every week. We could do audio theater all the time. I mean, it, it could get wild. And believe me, there are people who would love to do this. 
you know, with me that, that, I mean, we could bring on, it was great to have so many people working with me on episode 199C. I mean, the, the, the ladies that were involved in that are just the classiest, classiest acts on the planet today. And I mean that, uh, and, and that was, that was just a, you know, a real honor. Uh, but I think a lot of, a lot of people w- would love to get on board with this. I mean, we could do a whole thing and, and it would be awesome. So anyway, if you haven't yet, I don't mean to turn this into one giant ad for Patreon, but if you haven't yet, please consider becoming a sovereign tech patron on Patreon. And all you got to do now is just go to sovereigntech.com and you'll be all set. So anyway, enough of that. It is episode 200. The celebration is going on, <laughs> you know, whatever you happen to uh, imbibe with, you know, go for it. Uh, you know, if you smoke, go smoke them if you got them. I mean, it's it's a good time, what, whatever you want here. And, uh, whoo, man, did you guys listen to last night's, <laughs> did you listen to last night's Sex and Science Hour? Woo! Oh, there, yeah. Of course, you just heard the producer, lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Oh, man, was that a good time? Uh, so listen to that if you haven't at sexandsciencehour.com. Now, let's get into, woo, let's get into the foreplay, baby. Oh, yeah. Now, let's start this off. Let's start off the foreplay with a hell of a story. This is a story, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, you know, I don't really get depressed generally um it's it's i mean and i understand why people do you know i I, like it's just it's not my thing it doesn't doesn't happen to me often and like you know usually when something you know unfortunate happens i don't generally get like thrown off my game but i'll admit i got thrown off my game last friday Uh, (laughs) and and i'm gonna explain why because it might sound superficial at first, but really, I think it's something far deeper. So, but I want to tell this story. And what happened is, is that I've been, and I've been talking about this because I've been wanting this and I, and, and I'm, I'll break down into this a little bit more here, but, um, I've really been wanting this for as soon as I heard about it. And that is the NES classic edition, or as it's called in Europe, the NES mini. Okay. And what this is, we talked about it on game talk, you know, quite a few, maybe a couple months, whenever they first announced it, I brought it up because I thought it was really exciting. Uh, it, 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 what it is, it's just, it's a miniature version, like almost the size of your hand, uh, of the NES. I mean, it looks exactly like the NES, the, 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 ports uh, for the you know for the controllers they're different from the original nes and it gets charged by a micro usb port uh but otherwise i mean it you know it's largely it looks exactly the same right uh just smaller and it has 30 games put on onto it and there it's a great selection of 30 games all the nes zeldas it even has kirby kirby you know my my you know, Kirby, <laughs> my, uh, a personal favorite Nintendo character of mine. Um, it has all the Mario brothers, you know, pretty much like all the things you'd really, you know, all the big games that you'd expect, uh, you know, to, to be on there. And there's even excite bike, which I don't get it. I odd thing here. I've been reading the reviews for, for the NES classic and whenever they get to excite bike, everybody's just like, this isn't really a game. And, you know, I, I, we, we don't, we don't quite get it. You know, it's, it's, I don't, it's more like a tech demo. What the fuck are these people talking about? I'm going to get into more about the classic in a second, but but I, I want to talk about this. Like that was the first game. Excite bike was made by Nintendo. That was the very first game that I can even think of to where I could build levels. You could build the levels in excite bike. You could, you know, choose the ramps. You could add in all the different features, the oil slicks, the, the, the speed arrows or whatever those things were, all that stuff. That game was revolutionary. What the fuck are these idiots talking about? I mean, maybe the thing is, is that the people reviewing it, you know, weren't there and weren't, aren't able to appreciate 
just just what you know how important a lot of these games were how how like i said revolutionary and evolutionary these games were maybe that's the case i don't know because excite bikes not boring at all in fact i growing up that was the game we played most of the time you know if we weren't cranking in rc pro-am which unfortunately isn't in there uh or isn't on the nes classic you know we, we would crank that baby up excite bike was exciting so fuck them i i don't know what the i i I don't even know if they even realized that they could build levels on it and maybe they just didn't even try. I, I really don't understand what was going on for them. I mean, and especially boy, the sequel, uh, excite bike, excite bike 64. Um, that, that was fucking great. <laughs> but anyway, maybe one day and, and okay. So I'll touch on this since I got to that point. That's one of the reasons I think a lot of people are really excited about buying this. I mean, why a lot of people are jumping on this is not so much, that they can, um, and, and, and this is good to preface this entire conversation with, okay. It's not so much that people can't, don't know how to download an emulator and don't have access to just play these games on, you know, right on their PC or even on their Android phone, you know, or on their iOS, you know, device or whatever, or that they can't get it on their Wii U virtual console or even on their 3ds or something like that. Like, why do people want to buy this you know, the, the $60 console with games that are 30 years old, you know, or 30 games that are, well, how it's well, yeah, 30 years old. That's interesting. Uh, so <laughs> with games that are 30 years old and it's only 30 games, you know, why are people wanting to buy this when they could do all of this largely for free or for perhaps even significantly less money or perhaps with some degree of, of more convenience by it being on a console they already own? Well, I think part of that, part of the answer to that, and I really, I was very annoyed because well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I was really annoyed that people were, were like saying, this is so stupid. Why are all these people wanting to buy this or why are they buying this? Blah, blah, blah. Part of the reason I think is, and this is certainly my reason for doing it is to send a market signal. Okay. It is to send a market signal that I, cause everybody was saying this, like in comments on various websites, when the NES classic came out, like I said, this is going to apply to everybody, not just gamers. Okay. When the, when the NES classic was announced, Everybody was saying, holy shit, can we get a Super Nintendo classic? Can we get, and this was the big one that everybody wanted. Could we get an N64 classic? Because there's a lot of games on the N64 that still don't emulate well. And, uh, and in fact, haven't even like really been released on virtual console and all this. I mean, a lot of them have, but the N64 was, a, was just an amazing little machine. Even though the PlayStation, you know, really kind of kind of outstripped it in some ways, uh, you know, as, as far as popularity and, and, and a couple other things, um, the N64 was an awesome machine. And especially the Nintendo, you know, the first party games or the close to first party games that were released for it are some of the greatest games that have ever been made like by, by a long shot. And a lot of those great games have been re-released like Super Mario 64. Like the best version of Super Mario 64 is Super Mario 64 DS. I mean, and, and it is really great. Like it's a genuinely great improvement already over already one of the greatest games ever made. Um, so I, I think that's, that's one of the reasons is that they want to send the signal to Nintendo, please release hardware for your other systems. I mean, and shit, if we ever get a GameCube classic, I'd be jizzing in my fucking pants. That, I mean, that, that was one of my favorite systems. I'll tell you something. I, I, in fact, this is a great story. I, I might save the story for another time, but let's just say that how I got my hands on a GameCube, it was, it was a tale to tell. 
I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way, but it wasn't just like I went out and bought it. Uh, there, there was something to that magic. So anyway, I love the GameCube and like the Star Wars games on GameCube are fucking amazing. I mean, if we could get that, oh man, absolutely. I'll buy every system previous to make sure I get a GameCube classic someday. You better believe it. Um, anyway, and, and hell, even if they do, like if they did a Game Boy classic, I'd be all over that. Okay. And that's, that's the other reason why I think a lot of people wanted this stuff. Part of it is the convenience that it's just literally plug and play, plug in the HDMI cord. And, uh, and I mean, and you can even, this is the nice thing because it's because the, uh, the NES classic is powered by micro USB. You could just plug it into the USB port on your television and that would power it. You know, there's no setup because, you know, I mean, I'm obviously I run a tech show. I'm a very technical guy and I've been emulating, you know, I've been using emulators as far back as I can remember. Like I was literally using DOS emulators back in the day. I was using Nesticle. Was that the one it was called? Right. So I've been doing this for a long time, but in many ways, the state of emulation hasn't changed as in there really isn't that emulator out there aside from on say smartphones where, you know, you don't have to do a, a large amount of setup. Okay. And it's kind of annoying. And also, and often it's a roll of the dice. I've had people over and I love doing this. I have a bunch of, you know, USB controllers that, that I plug in and, you know, I like to play some main games. Like I'd love to play uh, alien versus predator, uh, with, um, the arcade version from Capcom, which is amazing. You know, I love playing that with a bunch of people when they're over the house and everything, you know, that's great. Uh, I love doing all that kind of stuff, but oftentimes like usually we're sometimes waiting a half hour to an hour of me just trying to get everything set up right. Cause you have all the different controllers. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's true. It's a pain in the ass. I don't mind going through the pain in the ass, but it is there as to where if you just have one of these little systems for only $60 and that's a fucking magical price point right there. Okay. If you if you have that and you just plug it in and you're good to go, you, you know, you jack in the, the, the controllers, whoo, you're playing that's worth 60 bucks in my opinion. Now, yeah, I'm with you. I wish maybe I kind of wish you could add more games to the NES classic for the record. I don't have one and that's what this story is going to be all about. Okay. But, <laughs> but I kind of wish you could add more games to it, but at the same time, I don't, I love the fact that this is, and this is another reason this is me personally. I don't know if anybody else thinks about it this way, but this is why me personally, why I want one is because I love the fact this thing doesn't connect to the internet. This little device is probably going to last another 30, 40 years which is exactly what I keep saying on Sovereign Tech for years and years and years, that I want devices that last for fucking ever. I want that so bad. And this is one of them. I'm glad it doesn't connect to the internet. Don't ever do it. Please don't, don't do it. So I think that's really cool. I mean, it's classic in every sense of the word. I love it. So now what's interesting, there are, there's a couple interesting points. One is about the NES classic is now we know, we know the innards and ironically, the NES classic has a chipset in it more powerful than the Wii. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> so, so, I mean, in, in some ways I kind of wonder if they ever come out with the Super Nintendo Classic or the N64 Classic or the GameCube Classic, I mean, other than maybe adding on some more onboard storage, they might not have to build another board because, you know, the processing power of this thing is plenty powerful. You know, it's multiple generations ahead powerful, uh, you know, from, from what it's trying to emulate. So, yeah, I mean, th this should be easy to do, frankly, and very cost effective. Um, the other point is, is that it does have, we, we now know it has one huge problem and it is only one and it's an easily solvable one, but it's there. 
And that is apparently the, not apparently it's true, the cord for the controller. And they, they give you the, you know, the class, the good old classic NES controller. And you can buy, it only comes with one when you buy it. Uh, but you can buy more if you want from, from Nintendo themselves. Um, the, the, the wire on the controller is literally under three feet. Like it is super, super short. You are going to be sitting right in front of that TV. And everybody really said, why did they do this? Now, part of it is, is that you have to actually, to, to do a bunch of, of things on the, on the NES classic, you have to press an actual button on it. Okay. Like you have to press the reset button or something like that. So maybe the idea was, is that you wouldn't get away too much from the couch or, or, you know, you wouldn't be on the couch so that you have to get up every second to start a new game and all this shit. Right. Um, but they sell extension cables for this. Now the ports, like I said, the ports are not the same as the ones, the, what was it? The seven pins that were, uh, that were on the original Nintendo entertainment system back in the eighties. Uh, the ports are different and the ports are really just ports that have been around since the Wii. It is the same ports that actually the Wii uses or that the Wii would use. Um, and so you can actually take a, a, a classic controller or a classic controller pro from the Wii and you can plug it into this and, and it'll work. Now there's a funny, there's a, there's a rub here. Okay. Because the, if you plug in a classic controller pro, which I plan on doing, because I actually have my classic, I have a classic controller pro from my Wii. It's actually a gold one that I got from buying GoldenEye when it first came out when I, cause I pre-ordered it, the re-release GoldenEye for the Wii. Um, so it's really cool that I'm going to be able to use that again because <laughs> I don't have a Wii. Uh, so Anyway, uh, you can plug that in and actually the, the classic controller, if you plug that in has more features, like you can do more, you can control more of the Nintendo, uh, or of the NES classic. If you plug in the classic controller. Now that said, you can't actually like get everywhere within the system. If there isn't at least one stock NES classic controller built, you know, you know, plugged in. So that's kind of a weird, I, I don't get it like why, why they did that, but whatever. Anyway, so the controller situation is a little odd. That's its only real flaw, but otherwise I think this thing's amazing. Now what happened is let's get to the story here. Okay. Cause there is a story here. What happened is I got ready. You know, I was waiting. I had the page on Amazon. I was like, no, I'm not going to deal with the stores. You know, I'm not going to go to Best Buy. I don't even know what store is going to be carrying. I'm not going to deal with Walmart, blah, 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 blah. All right. So I'm like, okay, Amazon, Amazon's going to have plenty of them. This is going to be fine. So I have the page all set, of course, saying currently unavailable. I had the page open for the NES classic and I had that page open baby for a month ahead of time. I mean that. And you know, I, I was all set, signed up for the emails, you know, for them to send the email notification for when I was hoping it would go on pre-order, never went on pre-order, but they said, okay, we're, you know, finally, like a couple weeks ago, they sent the email that said, we're going to release it. You know, it's going to get released on November 11th. It's going to be released at 5 PM Eastern time. And, uh, you know, we have limited quantities, so you're going to want to be there. All right. So I got that email, you know, and I, I talked to the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Okay. And it's like, all right, let's, let's do this. You know, let, let's make this happen because I was going to get this for testing purposes and other things, uh, through, some of, you know, what, what we've made through doing sex and science hour, because of course we have the sex and science, our affiliate Amazon affiliate link, which is a uh, stuff com If you ever, if you want to use it. Okay. So I was going to use that and thank you so much for providing the ability to do that. So Stephanie and I were, you know, we're, we're in front of the computer. We're ready to go. It's fine. You know, it's, it's like, and I, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of shaking a little bit. Okay. Cause it's four 55 and it's like, all right, I want to, I want to get, you know, 
let, let's do this. Let's go. It's going to be 5 p.m. and we got to be ready for it. And so we keep refreshing the page every, you know, 15, 30 seconds, something like that. And I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm, I'm a little, little nerved up, you know, and, and Stephanie's laughing here. <laughs> so, and then I, you know, it gets, it gets five o'clock. It's like, all right, refresh. And suddenly it said, okay, in stock, eventually, you know, it said it and it said, add to cart. And we're like, okay, it's five o'clock. It's literally five o'clock. And we hit add to cart and zip, nothing's in the cart. Like, what the fuck? All right, go back, go back. And so we go back and we hit add to cart again. Zip. There's nothing in the cart. Like, what the hell is going on here? And all of this, everything I'm telling you right now took place within the time frame of a minute, a literal minute. And eventually, like, suddenly the page just turns white. And I'm like, all right, come on, Stephanie, refresh, refresh. Let's go, let's go. You know, and then once it finally, once the page is done turning white and it finally gets back to it, it says unavailable or it said like, you know, out of stock, sold out. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like we were there, we were there early, had the page open forever. Like we were good to go. You know, we hit add to cart a ton of times. We even tried, understand, we didn't just hit add to cart. Like we weren't even just trying on the computer. We're like, all right, let's open up our apps on our smartphones and let's try doing it there. Same thing. You'd hit add to cart and it wouldn't show up in the cart. This, and, and then, you know, after that minute, like literally the, that, that part of Amazon crashed. And I think actually for, for quite a while or for a little while, anyway, a matter of minutes, Amazon almost in its entirety had crashed because so many people were trying to buy this thing. Now, I don't know how many, uh, how many units Amazon actually had, but I, it was so unbelievable. Because again, you know, everybody, and, and this was true for so many, I talked to tons of people, tons of people were like, we were ready at five o'clock. We were ready at five o'clock to go. And like, they wouldn't do a pre-order, which I think they did a pre-order in other countries, which was kind of strange. Um, but effectively on Friday, the release day, November 11th, the NES classic was gone. Like, I mean, it just, it was sold out any, any venue that had it, they sold it out pretty much in no time. And there were shortages all over the place. Um, like a lot of game stores were saying, yeah, I ordered 90. They only sent me six. And obviously those sold out in a heartbeat. And I, I, part of me has to believe that I think what happened at Amazon, cause I, I can't, I mean, and everybody was saying it on Twitter, like what Amazon, did you only get two? Because we only got one confirmation. I mean, I imagine there's more now, but at the time, a lot of people were really, really skeptical and, and really wondering what the hell is going on here. Because the only person that had actually been able to confirm that they got one or that they had ordered one at the, you know, at the time was a tech celebrity of sorts. Uh, who, someone who I, 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 th I think she's just wonderful. Uh, Shannon Morse from, uh, from tech thing and hack five. Um, she, she's like, Oh yeah, I got one. And it's like, but nobody else was reporting actually getting one. So a lot of people kind of, you know, wondering like, what, what the hell did Amazon even have any, what, you know, what the fuck happened? And, and it gets, it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> because like, I can't imagine that many people were, you know, were wanting, the, the, I mean, there was a lot, no doubt. I, I don't doubt if, if the number was in the millions of people trying to buy um, the NES classic. Now let's be clear here. Nintendo certainly does. Uh, they, they like to create kind of an artificial scarcity, like with their amiibo and, and some other systems and all that. Uh, I get it. And to some degree, it actually, 
it kind of makes sense. Like, like, especially, you know, if like, say the new 3DS comes out and, and there's a scarcity of that, right? Uh, you know, not everybody can get their hands on one on release day and all this stuff. Yeah, sure. I, I understand that because you're creating an entirely new system and, you know, you're talking about new hardware and it, it can take time to really, you know, get a production run up and to get all that to market. I understand, you know, I understand, especially with new technologies, very new technologies. But here's the thing with this. Okay, here's where, where it's dumb on Nintendo's part is that there's nothing, there are no new technologies involved in the NES Classic. Nothing, nothing new. There's no reason that tons of these shouldn't have, shouldn't have gotten made. And if, if you could say, well, they needed to test the market to see if people even get excited about it, then set up the pre-orders two, three months ahead of time. You'd have a really good idea of who wanted it. And believe me, I would have pre-ordered it three months ahead of time. So Nintendo certainly has some blame, you know, laid here, but the real problem, and this is where it applies to everybody. Okay. This is not just about gaming. The real problem, the real person at fault here, in my opinion, is Amazon. The reason that this is Amazon's fault is because there, well, there's a couple things. One, when I hit add to cart, it should not say zero. You shouldn't even let me hit that button like that. That was really, really strange because you had a ton. I mean, and it wasn't just me. There were literally hundreds, thousands of people that all hit add to cart and they all had the same exact problem. And they all talked they all reported it independently that we hit add to cart and nothing showed up. Amazon, what was going on there? There was, there was no communication. There was no transparency over what the situation was. And so a lot of people are like, well, fuck this, you know, fuck Amazon. And I don't blame them for that. Like, I get it. Yeah, Nintendo sucks for, for not making enough consoles, okay? But Amazon sucks for really, in my opinion, I mean, I like, I got to wonder, did they even really have any? Or did they get some, but all the Amazon employees got first dibs? What happened? I mean, if I like, it's just, I know people say, well, bots bought them out, blah, 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 blah. Well, that shows that that raises a very interesting point is that online commerce does have flaws, doesn't it? It's got some big flaws. But it really like that whole add to cart thing. It shouldn't have even hit like that. That should not. When you hit add to cart, something should have shown up and it's insulting to Amazon. And this is where things get funny. It's insulting to Amazon that they could not handle the sale of a fucking 30-year-old console, gaming console. They couldn't. Break it down to the simplicity of the matter, and that's what that's what we're told, is that Amazon couldn't hack it. And in fact, it's funny because, you know, 80% of the internet runs on AWS, you know, on Amazon's own servers. The gamers crashed Amazon servers. Just a bunch of gamers that wanted, you know, they're a, a classic Nintendo or, you know, an NES classic. Yeah, that should be concerning. I mean, it, it shows a lot of problems, you know, with with servers, right? But, but here's the real thing. Like, I tweeted, I tweeted at Amazon and I mean, not, not that I expect them to listen to me, of course, but I tweeted at him and I said, it was like, well, you know, you just convinced me to open up a Microsoft Azure account because you can't handle shit. I mean, this, this is pie in the face of Amazon. They, yeah, I know Nintendo, there's some blame to be had there for, you know, for the production run, but then Amazon should have been a whole shit ton more transparent. Uh, and, and like, it just doesn't speak well for them. You know, their, their system, 
I mean, you know, based upon this, this incident sucks. This is, it's funny. I've said in the past that, you know, brick and mortar stores, you know, they could go the way of the dodo. I, I don't really care. But then, you know, shit like this happens and it's like, yeah, you know, I miss the old days of the brick and mortar. You know, I, I miss, and, and that was kind of the thing. So this is what I want to get into a little bit uh, about this. And I know I've been talking about this for a while, but I, I really think it's an important, uh, an important story. And it, it's a big deal what happened and not a lot of other tech venues really, you know, jumped on this. I mean, I would be talking about it if Amazon, if, if something, if the, the sale of something crashed Amazon, you could say it's great marketing for the NES classic. Sure. That's fine. But it's not great marketing for Amazon. Like if anything, this goes to show me, oh yeah, I want to buy cartridges or, oh yeah, you know, I want to be going to GameStop again, because at least then, you know, maybe I have people that I can deal with and work with because Amazon doesn't give a shit about me as a gamer. And that's, that's what I, that's, that's kind of where all of this comes in is that I'll admit myself personally, I was feeling, I was feeling kind of, a, I, I hate to use this term, but I'll, I'll, I'll use it. I was, I was really feeling the release magic. You know, I was feeling like I remember, and, and this wasn't just as a kid. I mean, as I was an adult too, you know, this, this kind of thing would happen. Like I'd go to release parties. Like I went to the release party for, for Duke Nukem forever. And I mean, it was an awesome time. They had local restaurants set everything up at the, at the local GameStop and stuff. But I mean, I was kind of a, I was a minor celebrity at that GameStop. So whatever, it was a good time and all this, you know, but for the first time in quite a few years, I really felt like, I was like, yeah, Okay. This, this is exciting. This is, you know, the new console coming out, but it was the console kind of everybody could get on because it was only 60 bucks. Right. And, and, you know, you kind of, you had, you had some of that nostalgia coming, but not just nostalgia. Cause look, folks, these games are objectively great games. If there are metrics for what makes a game solid, what makes a grain gate and uh, great and enjoyable, these 30 games fall under that category. So it's not just nostalgia. All right. These are great games. You're telling me you wouldn't say to somebody, hey, you want to play a great game that you wouldn't you wouldn't recommend Super Mario Brothers three. Fuck, yes, of course you would. That's not nostalgia. That's just straight up. That's a great fucking game, right? So I was feeling, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, just like, you know, that excitement of when, you know, the PlayStation two first came out or, uh, you know, when the Nintendo DS first came out or when the GameCube first came out, you know, whenever a new console comes out, I was feeling that. And it was really exciting, you know, and, and like, and you wanted to be in, you know, doing the, the, the clicking and it was, it was great to experience it with Stephanie, even though it, you know, it, it all ended up thanks to Amazon going up in smoke. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, even play clicking refresh, it's like, yeah, we're getting in on it. It was almost like being in the line, you know, at, at a store waiting for, waiting for the shit to come out for like a midnight release or something, you know, it was really exciting. And so when, you know, when, when Amazon fucking dashed the hopes, you know, by, letting you click that add to cart button, but then nothing fucking showing up in your cart, man, that pissed me off. And I'll admit it. Like it depressed me because, you know, like I said, I was, I was in many ways reliving, you know, some years past of the excitement of a console coming out and all this. And I feel like I got teased, you know, it's literally just like if you went to a GameStop and, and GameStop isn't a sponsor of the show, by the way, <laughs> but if you went to a GameStop and they, they like, they just grabbed you know, they, they handed you the box and they said, oh, no, sorry, sir. And they just took the box right back from you, fortunately, before you paid. But it's just like that. And I mean, how pissed off would you be? It, it, it feels just like it. It felt just like it. It sucked. 
you know, I'm still going to get my hands on one. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I missed out on some sales. Apparently Walmart was doing some limited sales, uh, the past few days. And this is getting recorded on uh, November 19th, 2016. Um, but I'll get my hands on one. I still really, really want one. And yeah, it sucks. The Nintendo pulls off kind of this artificial scarcity when really there's no reason to, I mean, folks, good businesses, when people want to buy something, sell it to them. When people are ready to hand you money, take the fucking money. This this trick that Nintendo's been pulling really forever is uh, it's getting awfully old in our digital age. Like it's it's really really getting old. They can't do it with games anymore. Like I mean, how how do you sell out of copies of a game when you can just you know buy them from the Nintendo from the eShop, you know, on the 3DS or something? So yeah, I get it. It's great marketing, blah, blah, blah. You think I don't know that? Come on. It's what we talk about on the show all the time is the bullshit narratives. Okay. I understand all of that, but I, I just, I'm more pissed than Amazon and yeah, boy, AWS, very, very questionable performance. <laughs> I mean, woo, I wouldn't run my shit on that. If, if it can't handle, you know, that sale, it, that, it was, it was ugly. And, you know, Nintendo or I'm sorry, not Nintendo, Amazon, they tweeted out after the fact saying, um, you know, we know this is very important and Nintendo already said they're going to be, you know, producing more. There's going to be steady stream of these coming out through the holiday season. Um, and, uh, you know, and Amazon said, yeah, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted as to when we get more. Um, they have not gotten more yet. Walmart's really been the only one to, to say that they've, they've had anything, uh, like that. So, but anyway, it, it was just so crazy. I, I am, I mean, I, I already don't like Amazon, but I, but I'm really pissed off, <laughs> you know, that that happened. And it's not like, I don't feel, you know, this was, this was bullshit too, because a lot of people were complaining about it and a lot of people were responding back. Oh, you're a bunch of millennials. You feel so entitled. No, it's not entitled. We hit add cart. We were there and nothing showed up. We did everything that you're supposed to do to get your hands on one of these fucking things. And Amazon dropped the goddamn ball. Nobody's feeling entitled. People are just feeling like, wait a second, I did it right. Where the fuck's the system that should have been in my cart? And again, and then the rest of the people are like, well, this is so dumb. Why don't you just play it on the emulators? You don't get it. There's the convenience. There's even, there's the cool factor that there's a little Nintendo sitting on your fucking table, right? It's awesome to look at. I think that's great. It's more than just the games. And maybe even there's the excitement like I was describing. Maybe other people were feeling that, you know, that excitement of a new console release. Ooh, let's do it. Because, I mean, when's the last time there was a new console? Besides, like, the new 3DS last year or something. I mean, yeah, you got the new consoles with... Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. They're all refreshes, you know, to some degree. As to where going back, you know, eight, seven, eight generations in gaming, that kind of feels like a new console now, right? When was the last time you really had that? from the company itself, not some aftermarket bullshit. It's been a long time. You know, it's been years or a couple of years anyway, since the, the newest generation of consoles came out. So it's, it was exciting and yeah, it just sucked. I will get my hands on one and thank you to all the listeners really that, you know, that that'll make that possible in, in, in a very real way. Uh, but there you go. Now I talked about that for a <laughs> when I go on for 20 minutes, I should have made that the main story or something. Um, but let's, let's get into, let's get into some more foreplay. Woo. Now an interesting, <laughs> kind of a funny, funny, just happenstance here with this episode of sovereign tech is that the entire foreplay 
the three companies we're going to be talking about, because we're going to move on to Microsoft next, are all based are, you know, they're all the major tech companies that are not in Silicon Valley. They're all based in the, in the Northwest, you know, out of Redmond or, you know, just outside of Seattle or whatever. Uh, so they're all kind of down the street from each other in a, in a real way, <laughs> which I'll tell you, if I was going to set up a tech company, if I was going to start a company now, I would go there. I would be setting up in Redmond, right where Nintendo of America is, because obviously they're doing great right where Microsoft is, because we're going to talk about this. They're doing great. Uh, and, and right by Amazon, who is the real tech giant in the world and that is eating every other company's lunch. Uh, so even though they, they have these, these profound failures, <laughs> you know, these massive failures. Um, but yeah, I want to talk a little bit about, about Microsoft, uh, and because, and, and this is going to lead right into our main story, which is also about Microsoft. But again, if you don't like Microsoft, I want you to hear this because this is going to bring a lot of things to bear that I have talked about to four that I have talked about in the past years of sovereign tech. Now, one of them, what I want to open this up with in the foreplay, this is actually really, really key because I did an episode. This is maybe only two, maybe three months ago where I talked about the music industry, not, not just the music industry, but like, you know, how we listen to music and all of this. And it was all around, it was a story. Some people thought that the story was kind of boring. I actually got an email or it's like, why did you even do that story? The main point that I made when I brought up that story was that because a lot of the story was talking about how like, there's just like, there's almost too much music or there's too much access to it. Not, I mean, you can't really have too much music. Um, it used to be better when we just had our iPod classics and, you know, you had to personally uh, curate what you were going to listen to because you could only fit so many songs onto an iPod classic. Now, you know, nobody listens to anything. That was the story that I was talking about. Now, a point that I brought up in it and it was actually the main point I was trying to trying to, you know, parlay by reading that story was that I feel like and I've said this before, I've said this many, many times. And I'm starting to hear some other tech journalists actually say this as well. The really, the, the device that started the mobile revolution, the device that really led to the, you know, the mass adoption of say smartphones wasn't even the smartphone. It was not the iPhone, the great device that changed, that brought us to what some people call post PC world, which I have my issues with that. Uh, but the device that really did that was the iPod, the iPod changed everything. The iPod made Apple, uh, you know, what was the name of the company? I was going to call it. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Oh, Apple adapters, Inc. Okay. So the, the, the device that really put Apple adapters, Inc back on the map besides the iMac was the iPod. This was huge. Okay. And I said in that story that I, that I talked about, you know, I was talking about the music industry and, or, you know, music, listening to music in general, I talked about how I think we, with touchscreens becoming such a big deal, we're actually losing out. And I could go back and find the episode and play the audio if you want, because I, I said this. I said we're we're losing out on perhaps some great alternative uh, user interfaces or interface types. And one of the one I brought up was the iPod Classic, because the iPod Classic you had that that the, the wheel, you had the click wheel, right? which is just a brilliant fucking, I mean, and it was partially kind of a, a, a touch interface in a way, but it was such a brilliant interface and amazingly fast. Like how well you, you know, how quickly you could get through all of your music and get to what you wanted to do and all this. Like it was just a brilliant move. And I compared it to, 
I said, I was like, you know, this is something that I, you know, some science fiction has used as a way to show off a very futuristic uh, user interface. In particular, I brought up um, an episode of Star Trek Voyager where it was the episode where they go, you know, they they go aboard the USS Relativity, which is like this, you know, 29th century starship. It's way in the future. And the way that they control everything isn't by pressing buttons like on the L cars interface on, uh, you know, on, on like say the enterprise D or something, but they had all these circular motions that they would make on a flat panel, just like if it were the iPod classic. And I was like, you know, there's a real brilliance in that and a real speed of interface that, that you could do if you were using kind of that, that circular control. Now I said all that and I said, we're really missing something by getting away from the click wheel. And I didn't even think about this until this past week when I heard a lot of people talking about the success of a new device and this new device or the excitement about this new device. It's not, it's, I think it's still pre-ordered. So I don't know that you can even get your hands on one, but just the fact that a lot of people are really, really excited about this. A lot of people that actually get shit done. And that is the surface dial. Now we talked about, you know, earlier in the, in their, you know, end of, end of October where Microsoft was talking about, um, or, you know, where Microsoft had their, their hardware event where they released all this different shit. You know, they released the surface studio, they released a new surface or an updated surface book. Uh, you know, they released all that new stuff. Right. And the surface dial was one of the things they released. Now it's this little dial that you can, you can just like put on your screen and then suddenly on the screen, new controls, like little controls show up that you can, you can turn this dial and then you can press buttons or, you know, you can press a button on the little, on the dial itself. You don't have to do it on the screen and it would create, you know, new functions or create a new menu that you could use, say with certain software that you have. Right. Okay. Or it could also work. And this is the thing is that this device uses Bluetooth, but it can work with any windows 10 device. In fact, even with phones, I, I think it can work with windows 10 mobile. It, it doesn't have to sit on a touchscreen. It can just sit to the side of your computer and you can use it independently. Um, and, it, you know, as long as you have Bluetooth, you know, as long as you can connect to it. And people are so excited about this device. They're like, wow, I can really see the applications for this. And even people are talking about, you know, making games with it, uh, you know, all these different things. And, and once people figure out how to make games with something, that's when a category can finally take off. Okay, just like with with smartwatches, I know a lot of people are like, eh, it's not happening. Well, the games just now are getting developed for it. And once games get popular for it, then it really, it can take off. Um, You know, you either have to have gaming or porn. Those, you you have to appeal to one of those, uh, you know, subcultures or subcategories. And that's what, that's when whatever you have, you know, can really shine. So, but, but this is, this is the amazing thing is I told you, I said, we're really missing something. And we're missing some really ingenious ideas and some clever ways to do things, not just clever, but actually efficient ways to do things by just going everything touchscreen and ignoring some of the, some of the designs that have come from the past. And really the surface dial is just the click wheel returned, you know, and great. (laughs) I'm glad people are excited about this thing, you know, and fine. It doesn't go down to the little consumer or who cares? The little consumer just does that. All they do is consume. They don't make anything. So, okay. You know, (laughs) it's not for you. That's fine. But for people that create, that get shit done to have something that, you know, that, that's just this little piece of brilliance. Awesome. But I just love that. It proves my point that Microsoft really ends up proving my point that no, there's, there's still work to be done in the world, in the world of, you know, a a physical user interfaces, your, you know, physical interfaces. 
you know, the keyboard's not dead. The mouse isn't dead. And the click wheel now really isn't dead either. Um, and I mean, you know, I'll give, because please, it's true. I'll give Apple all the credit. I mean, effectively the surface dial is very much, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think it's just a, you know, it's a click wheel. It's a windows 10 click wheel, <laughs> like, you know, and, and that's okay. That's great because the click wheel is fucking awesome. People use them forever. And, and again, everybody had an iPod and everybody loved it. So Apple innovated there. They don't innovate anymore, of course. I mean, they don't innovate for shit. Of course, that's what happens when you end up with a company being run by a guy, uh, you know, that's really good with inventory and doesn't know shit, uh, you know, about actual like design and and, and things like this. Uh, Looking at you, Tim Cook. Uh, So, (laughs) and it's true. That's where he came from. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's great with numbers. That's awesome. But, you know, this stuff's more than just numbers. Um, So anyway, the surface dial, the excitement around that and, uh, you know, the pre-orders, the, the high pre-order numbers and all this, that's really exciting. I'm glad to see that there is this, that this direction, this is a direction that things are going, um, you know, f- for computers, for PCs and, and even whatever else that, that, that connects to it. Uh, I thought that was just, just really, really cool. And it, it so proved my point and people thought that that story was so boring. No, I had a point to make and now it's proven that there are still things to be done like that, that we did lose some ingenious ways to interface with software and, you know, with creativity in general, in the abstract, I guess. Uh, and here it is with, with the surface dial and people are really excited about it. And man, I mean, the reviews for all that new Microsoft hardware are just through the roof. A lot of people who were Apple guys, you know, app, I mean, Apple users, they're all saying, Holy shit. I want, you know, I want the surface book. I want a surface studio. I, you know, if only it could run this one little piece of, uh, you know, Apple software, I'd be all over it. Things are changing. And, you know, I, I had a lot more to get into with, um, uh, you know, with, with the foreplay here, but why don't I skip all those stories? Let's get right into our main story. We're already almost an hour in. Okay. So, so let, let's, let's get talking about it. Um, and the main story that I want to bring up to you is the fact that, and I, I've sort of hinted at this and I've sort of brought it up in other time at other times, um, including during the foreplay or what was previously the random access. And that is, is that we are just in the past couple of years, the landscape of the tech world, the landscape of the tech industry has capsized. I mean, it, it is, it is completely upside down from where it was a decade ago. Okay. And, and I, and I'm going to prove it. And actually there is, I mean, in some ways this is a song of victory. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, because well, in particular, Microsoft is now the company that seems to be bringing out the innovations, even though, well, and I, I more to say on that and please, I'm not rah, rah Microsoft. Okay. There are still very concerning things about Microsoft. Um, I am, you know, OneDrive gate that happened last year. Uh, is still terrible. It is a huge blemish on the company. Um, and, and I don't trust them. You know, I, I don't trust the, the cloud because of them. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't trust any of it. So, you know, don't misunderstand me, but things have changed. Things have really, really changed. Um, you are not today. When you look at Microsoft, you are not looking at Bill Gates's company. You're not looking at Steve Ballmer's company. You could say it's, it's Satya Nadella's company. I mean, whatever. Okay. You are looking at a totally different 
company, and they are the company that is is really starting to make shit happen. I mean, granted, some of the stuff, you know, like I said, that they've come out with recently, I mean, even the Surface Studio, like, yeah, that that's awesome to look at, right? Granted, they had designed that sort of thing, like, almost literally 10 years ago. They, they had the, the Surface, it was like a table, where, and you can still see the videos, I'm sure, on YouTube of this thing. And they they called it Surface, where you could, and we talked about it on Sovereign Tech before, where you could, like, put your camera, or you could put your smartphone down on a table, and all of your, or you could put a camera down, and all your pictures would show up on this table, on this giant touchscreen, right? Or you could go to a restaurant, and you could just use the table as as the menu, and all of this. Uh, so, you know, th- that sort of technology, th- they've really had for a while, I guess they just never really brought it out to the, to the mainstream, or, you know, however that all ended up shaping up. Um, so it's not like the Surface Studio, in and of itself, is even really that new of a thing. It's just the fruition of the whole idea of, you know, the surface from what it originally was 10 years ago, uh, which a lot of people thought they had dropped, especially when, you know, like the surface pro and, and all those started coming out when they started using the surface name for other things. But the surface studio is really just finally what surface was originally supposed to be kind of, you know, kind of hitting the ground running. Um, but regardless of all that, look, Microsoft is a completely different company. And I'll tell you when I, when I saw this story that I'm about to, to share with you, I mean, I said to everybody, I was like, you know what? Hell did just freeze over. This is remarkable. This is no one, no one. And if you went back, you could go back just, just four years, go to the, go back to the first year of sovereign tech. If you emailed the golden stallion and if you said, Hey, I think Microsoft is, you know, is going to do this, 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 I would have told you there's just no chance in hell. That's what I would have said. There's just no way they would have done it. But here it is, reading from uh, Windows Central, which uh, I really like Windows Central because uh, it's run by by an actual anarchist. Um, and it's Microsoft joins the Linux Foundation. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Welcomes Google to .NET community. Holy shit. Remember the old Scroogle campaign? We don't like Google and Microsoft, baby. Whoa, what happened here? Let me read the story. Uh, it's coming from uh, Dan Thorpe Lancaster. Alongside a number of big Visual Studio announcements at its Connect 2016 developer conference, um, which Stallion breaking in, those, you know, Visual Studio, the, the announcements were is that Visual Studio was now going to be available effectively for free for, you know, Mac and, and, uh, and also, you know, for Linux and all this. Um, anyway, Microsoft reading on Microsoft also took the stage to announce that it is further embracing the open source community by joining the Linux foundation as a platinum member. Now I'm going to stop right there for a second. The, a platinum membership within the Linux foundation. Do you want to know how much that costs? Half a million dollars a year, half a million dollars. This means, okay, I'm going to stop for a second before I read on. This means Microsoft is now one of the top funders of Linux. Which, I mean, I have a lot I want to say on that, and I'm going to save it, but understand that. And also what's interesting is that on GitHub, do you know who the number one company is that that, that contributes to open source Gits on GitHub? Microsoft? More than any other company. In fact, I think it might even be more than any other company combined, more than Facebook, more than, uh, you know, more than, than, than Apple, more than any of those guys. They are the number one open source code contributors on GitHub. Hmm. 
Would you have seen that coming? No, I wouldn't. And reading on, in addition, Microsoft also revealed that Google has joined on with the independent.net foundation. According to Microsoft, joining the Linux Foundation will help to bring more innovation to its customers. For Microsoft, quote, as part of its effort to work more closely with open source with the open source community, Microsoft on Wednesday announced it has joined the Linux Foundation as a platinum member. Microsoft's membership in the Linux Foundation will benefit customers through increased collaboration and innovation among a diverse ecosystem. By becoming a Linux Foundation platinum member, Microsoft is better able to collaborate with the open source community to deliver transformative mobile and cloud experiences to more people said uh, Jim Zemlin, uh, executive director of the Linux Foundation. Microsoft has been a key contributor to many projects, and we see the company intensifying its uh, involvement and commitment to open development. So there, so you've heard both statements. The first statement there, or the first half, was from Microsoft itself. Second half was from the Linux Foundation. This is just the latest move in a recent effort by Microsoft to further embrace the open source community. The company has even open sourced some of its own projects recently, including the .NET framework and the Xeramin uh, SDK, among others. Microsoft also already contributes to a number of Linux Foundation projects, including Node.js Foundation, Open Daylight, Open Container Initiative, our consortium, and Open AI. Uh, open API uh, initiative. Lastly, in addition to Google joining the .NET Foundation, Microsoft also revealed that Samsung will release a preview version of its Visual Studio tools for Tizen OS on Wednesday. Tizen, of course, being based on Fedora uh, and Tizen being the Samsung OS that they were hoping and may, might still be planning on because they still hold Tizen events, uh, supplanting uh, Android. Now, the reality of that ever happening, I mean, Tizen is Android compatible. The reality of that ever happening is, you know, a whole other, whole other can of worms. Now, that's interesting because if Microsoft's looking at, there's a lot to take away from this and I, I want to break into more, but I don't, I just want to address the Tizen thing. Working with Tizen might be, this reminds me of how also Microsoft, you know, put some money into CyanogenMod or into Cyanogen, I should say, not CyanogenMod. And so this could be Microsoft looking, you know, continually looking at their plan B uh, of their mobile strategy to where eventually they might just come out with an Android phone, you know, of their own. And that's a possibility. In fact, that's something not a lot of people really talk about is that what if, you know, everybody talks about how, okay, we got the Surface Studio, we got the Surface Book, we got the Surface Pro. Are we ever going to get the Surface phone? And people are saying, yeah, it's being worked on. But, you know, when it comes out, what if it's an Android device or a Tizen device? Hmm. Now, a lot of people ask the question, and again, there's more I want to get into because this is far, far more ranging than just talking about consumer devices. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people ask the question of why does Microsoft even do Windows 10 mobile? Like, why do they even bother building that? You know, it's not even like, what, is it even 1% of market share in the mobile space? You know, why do it? Well, the reason why I do it is because it doesn't take any extra work. Like there's no, there's really not a great reason not to do it uh, because, you know, everything that, that happens in Windows 10 affects Windows 10 across the board, you know, because of UWP, you know, universal Windows platform apps and, and all of this. I mean, just go ahead because it's just Windows 10 more or less. So you might as well develop for it. And maybe there'll be a hardware category that Windows 10 could take advantage of that they have been developing it regularly and they can just jump on board with. So there's really no good reason. It's not, why are they doing it? It's, there's no good reason why not to do it, to develop Windows 10 mobile. So that's why they keep on going with it. Um, but that's interesting. That, I mean, just a little comment on Tizen. That's, that's, that's a little strange. Got to wonder about that. 
So, but anyway, the, you know, the bigger deal that I want to talk about here is, and this is, this is funny because I remember just a few years ago, Steve Ballmer, and this is when he was uh, CEO of Microsoft, you know, he had taken over for, uh, for Bill Gates. He specifically said that Linux was a malignant cancer. Uh, I mean, he went so far as, uh, as to call it, or let's see here. I got the quote. Um, let's see. Yeah. Former Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer, no longer, or well, not no longer anyway, 11 years before. So 11 years ago from this year, from 2016, shortly after taking the helm of at Microsoft, Ballmer said, quote, Linux is a cancer that attaches itself in an intellectual property sense to everything it touches. The, uh, end quote. The other C word he used for Linux was communism, accusing the Linux community of diluting Microsoft's R&D spend by infringing on its intellectual property. Now, in March earlier this year of 2016, Steve Ballmer recanted that statement and said he loves open source. Now, Steve Ballmer isn't exactly the brightest tech guy. Let's be clear on that. He's great with numbers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, he's he really like wasn't, you know, he certainly doesn't have the the pedigree, you could say, in engineering and whatever else that like a Satya Nadella would have or some others. OK, or Bill Gates. So. This is this is really key. I mean, Balmer's now saying, oh, yeah, no, open source. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Microsoft is like, here, let's give you millions of dollars because it's going it's what it's going to add, add up coming to, you know, in the end. Let's give you millions of dollars to help de develop Linux. Ooh. What is all this saying? Well, there's a few things that it says. One is, is what I've already, uh, you know, what I've already mentioned so far. And that is, is that Microsoft is not big green anymore. Microsoft is not the big, the empire. You know, remember people used to call Bill Gates, Darth Vader. That's not Microsoft anymore. This is a completely different company. That doesn't mean everything they do is good. That doesn't mean everything they do is great. Okay. But this is maybe the most developer friendly, user friendly, the jokes about, you know, the UI of windows 10 aside. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, there's still the problems with how they were forcing the windows 10 update and all that. I, I, I really recognize that. Okay. But as far as like what tools they're getting out to people and the, the overall availability of those tools and things like this, very, very consumer user friendly in that regard. Again, OneDrive gate, still a huge problem. There's still problems there, but in comparison to some other companies, they're doing a better job. And I mean, this is, it's such a 180 for this company. Like you just, you never would have imagined it, that they would jump in on this stuff. They just, they wouldn't. Uh, now, I mean, there's some fascinating points here. Like, why are they doing this? Why is Microsoft getting involved with Linux? And then there's an, a much overarching point that is, that I want to get to. Okay. Why is Microsoft doing this? Well, part of it is, I think is because their, their business model is no longer windows. So certainly they don't need to have the, you know, they're, they're not incentivized perhaps like Balmer was to where, oh shit, Linux is going to, you know, it's a totally free operating system. This is going to kill our, our cash cow. That being windows, we got to kill Linux. Not that he said we got to kill Linux. I wouldn't be shocked if he did say that, but you get my point. But windows, as I've said on sovereign tech for months now, for, well, for about a year now, is not the operating system anymore. Cortana is the operating system, but Cortana is really just Azure. Azure, Microsoft Azure, their server system, all that, their cloud system, that's the real operating system. That's the real moneymaker for them now. That's, you know, that's their business. 
and how that interacts like with mobile and how that interacts with everything else, how it handles office office 365 makes them billions a year. They could run off of office 365's money alone. So, so that, that, I mean, that's part of what's going on here is that, you know, Microsoft's like, okay, you know, we're, this isn't the battle we need to win necessarily anymore. And maybe it's the battle we can't even win, you know, that being against open source. Um, and so since our business model is really just being the back end now for all this stuff, let's just open it all up, baby. Let's open it all up because that will allow more people to develop and to use and to get on board with this stuff. Right. So this leads, this leads to the overarching point. So first off, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not saying Microsoft is a good guy now. Okay. But they seem to be, you know, if we were to play this game that I hate playing, if there are a least of all evils in the big tech companies, you know, Apple, Amazon, Verizon, um, AT&T is a, you know, they're an arm of the, they're, they're just a member of the state. Uh, so they're an alphabet soup organization, so I'm not going to count them. Uh, you know, alphabet and, and whoever, well, they're an arm of the state too. Uh, you know, whoever, you know, Facebook, all them, the least of all evils and all that of all ironies, I think now is Microsoft for a lot of reasons, because I mean, also Microsoft seems to get the, seems to get a lot of this shit, right? Like the re you know, the, the still ongoing case against the U S DOJ by Microsoft. Do you, do you remember We read the statement that they made on, uh, on, on the show on sovereign tech where Microsoft, I mean, and they made, they, they took a far more principled, a far better stance, a far more philosophical. And in my opinion, a far more right on stance against the U S government than Apple ever dreamed of doing. Cause Apple, you know, when the, when the San Bernardino case happened with Apple, okay. You know, Apple was just like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. Well, look, if, if you didn't fuck up, if you didn't fuck it up, if you didn't screw up the login abilities to this phone, we would have done it for you. It's just, you fucked it up. You know, so, I mean, so Apple doesn't mind working with the government as to where Microsoft said, you're not getting access to our servers. As to where Microsoft said that we don't understand, and this is so huge. Microsoft said, we don't understand how, you know, you wouldn't just walk into somebody's house and go pilfering through their papers. You know, nobody would stand for that. How, how are the digital documents say on OneDrive or in emails on Outlook and all this, how is that any different than, you know, in the physical realm? And I would agree it's not. They, they took the right stance on that shit. So they're the least of all evils, in my opinion, if, if, you know, if, if we're going <laughs> to, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not shy of using the word evil form, but there's a grander point to be made here. And I'm not the only one making this point, but I'm glad that people are realizing it. And I'm glad that people are making the point. And that is, is that for the past 20, 30 years, there has been, for lack of a better phrase, I don't like using this kind of phrase either, but for the sake of time, there has been a war between open source and closed source. Okay. There, there are proponents that everything should be open source. There are proponents, you know, open source this, open source that. And then there are the proponents who, you know, are like, no, 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 you got to do closed source. We've got to protect IP. We got to do this kind of like what Steve Ballmer was a few years ago. And those, the people that, and this is true. And I've heard people, even in my own sphere of influence who have said open source is communism. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. Okay. Open source is open source, but people really believe that. But here's the thing that it is 
un, in my opinion, it is undeniable today that open source has won. The open source movement has won. As of this week, honestly, as of Microsoft laying out millions of dollars, it'll add up to millions, to the Linux Foundation and to even just recognizing the Linux Foundation, you know, and then open sourcing all of their development tools, throwing PowerShell onto Linux. I mean, all this different stuff, letting Bash go onto Windows 10. I mean, just all the shit that's going on. Because understand, Windows is still the most used operating system on the planet today. Understand that. They, I mean, they're, you know, they're raising the white flag. It might be kind of quietly, but they're raising the white flag. They lost. Microsoft lost. The whole closed source movement lost. And this is why I'm not hopeful for Apple because they're falling behind the times. Most servers, you know, you know, servers are running off of Linux. You know, so, I mean, everything, almost the world now in many ways is getting powered by open source. Like I said, you know, I've talked about this in some other shows where, yeah, a lot of your mom and pop shops and all that, you know, they're still running windows and they're the people that are, you know, kind of the undercore that's still getting a lot done. But the back end that allows them to do a lot of that, a lot of that's Linux. It's true. And it's going to be even more true, I think, in the very near future. Okay. And I'm still open, you know, speaking of Microsoft, I'm still open to my prediction that windows 10 may eventually become, you know, windows itself may eventually become open source and that it would become a free operating system. Now that doesn't mean that, that I also theorize that windows or Microsoft would then just, they would, they would release what I called their, or what's called their Midori operating system, which is something they're actually developing. Okay. Or have been developing for a long time, but they'll release their Midori operating system. And then you'll have to pay a subscription fee for that. Um, they're already offering a subscription fee for, uh, you know, for their enterprise, uh, you know, windows, uh, you know, windows 10 and, uh, you know, wh- which I predicted that I told you, I said, believe me, they're going to do it and people will pay and people are paying. But eventually I think that's what it'll come to is that they'll release Midori and, and that'll end up happening. But so, yeah, so there's a good chance that windows 10 is going to get open source. I mean, this is, but this is the, it, it, look folks, it's time for celebration. Do you understand? The open source movement won. It has won. And the the beautiful thing about this, especially in our present political climate, is that it is kind of the one thing that's going to allow us to end run, skirt around, and make obsolete the present political climate. This is exciting. You don't have to like Microsoft. I don't like Microsoft. Okay, you, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything of the sort. You don't have to praise anybody, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I like some of the moves they do, certainly. I, I mean, there's some things I like about them, no doubt. Okay, but let's be really clear here. The open source movement won. And any company, any company that is going to try and, and stand against that, looking at you, Apple, well, I question their future. Either they're going to have to open source their shit or what? I don't know. Or at least they're going to have to go heavily cross-platform. But this is good. This is great. This is wonderful. When I read that story, I was just like, yes, finally, wave the flags. I don't like flags, but you know what I mean. It's over. Open source is here. It's taken over the world. Good. Woo! I'll be back with some more sound. Woo. All right. Sovereign tech listeners. Hey, I want to tell you about something now. And please, please listen to this. 
My sponsor, agrishosting.com, okay, they feel that an upcoming event, and I agree with them, is so important, they wanted me to run the ad for this event coming up. And it is. It is uh, it's going to be the free Rossathon. So I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the ad, but you got to love this company. you got to love agoristhosting.com for they, you know, they emailed me. They said, Stallion, please, could you give our ad time to free Ross? It's so important to us. This is such a big deal. You know, we'd really love it if you could do that. And I said, absolutely, no problem whatsoever. Uh, And so here it is, but please, Remember, go to agoristhosting.com for all your web hosting needs, everything you want to do, all your open bazaar needs. I mean, just wild stuff you get to do there. They're one of the best businesses at what they do. And some of the stuff only they do. So go to agoristhosting.com. But here, let's cut to the free Rossathon. Ross Ulbricht was sentenced to life in prison for operating the Silk Road. But that's not the end of the story. Ross is trying to get out, but he needs your help. The free Rossathon is happening Sunday, December 4th from 2 to 10 p.m. Eastern, featuring Roger Ver, Cody Wilson, Doug Casey, Tom Woods, and dozens of equally seditious speakers. Go to freeross.org right now and register for this free event. It's a fundraiser for Ross's appeal, so prepare to be inspired. Freeross.org. That's freeross.org. Internet of Targets. Woo, baby! Now, <laughs> got a new segment for you. Actually, there's going to be a couple new segments uh, this time around, the next 25 episodes. And this one, so you're good. Well, you might notice, because I went so long with the foreplay in the last segment talking about the NES Classic, because, uh, <laughs> oh, what a story. Um, I'm going to skip HackSec this week on episode 200, but HackSec will still be here. I've always said that, that look, that segment's never going to go anywhere. Okay. It'll always be a part of the show. Um, but I'm going to skip HackSec this week and, you know, just for the interest of time, but in doing so it it really, this, this little, this segment that I'm going to do here is going to double as kind of as the hack sec, because it's a really, really important subject, uh, you, you know, to get into. And this, this segment's called the internet of targets. Now I've, I've called IOT that being the internet of things. I've called it that for a long, long time. Uh, another thing is internet of things to be hacked. That's another, that's another term that gets used quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I'm hearing a lot of, <laughs> there's some great terms out there. Like, uh, there's what, what is it? Idiot. Like instead of IOT, they're just adding in the DI, uh, which means I don't IT <laughs> I, or I don't IOT. <laughs> uh, so uh, idiot, I mean, in that case would be, you know, a positive thing. It's a good thing that you don't, you know, use IOT, anything that's IOT. Um, and then I heard, I heard another great f- phrase this week that I just loved. And it said, <laughs> it's like, what does the S in IOT stand for? Security. But there's no S in IOT. <laughs> So, so you get it. That's the thing. There's no security in IOT. So I have decided, and I'm trying this out to make an entire segment. Okay. And it won't be a terribly long one every week, but an entire segment that is all about something new that I find out about, or some new news that has to do with the internet of things. Okay. Or the internet of targets, because I mean, it just keeps coming up. And sometimes it's, it's either sad, funny, or scary all three of which makes for great news, right? So, so why wouldn't I do it? 
Um, and so this is going to be just the segment of the show. And again, I'm trying it out for the next 25 episodes. You know, let's talk about IOT, how it's developing, because I think the next six months might be actually a really great, or maybe even a year might be a great metric, uh, a great measure of the success and hope. Well, what really I hope is the failure um, of IOT. I mean, no matter how much money they keep throwing at, I mean, look, if they keep throwing money and doubling down on failure, which IOT, in my opinion, is, you know, just the idea of just from the onset. Okay. The idea of, I mean, there's nothing wrong with automation. Automation's fine. All right. The problem is, is that when that automation is connected to the big, bad internet, when it's connected to the web, right? Like that's, that's where you run into problems, in my opinion, with, uh, you know, with, with IOT, when you have it, when you, when you don't have it localized, like, and I've said this before. Okay. And I want to get into the story because it addresses some of what I, um, what I talk about often on the show, but I've said this before with IOT, if IOT, if everything was literally just on its own little network that wasn't in any way connected, it was completely remote from the rest, uh, you know, the rest of the of planet earth. It'd be fine. I mean, like, it's cool. Like a lot of the stuff we saw in science fiction, you know, all these different things were really cool ideas. And it's like, yeah, I'd like my house to be set up like that. I'd like all of this to happen, you know? And, but they, what they never figured out in science fiction, at least not until now. And, you know, if you watch something like black mirror, what they never figured out was that, well, but if you connect it to everything else, you're creating gigantic security, you know, a security hole, security exploits, security flaws. Right. So I love that statement that, you know, what, <laughs> <laughs> what does the S in IOT stand for? It stands for security and there's no S in IOT. So there's no security. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I want to read this and this is actually coming from Bruce Schneier, who is, uh, you know, a legend in the, um, you know, in the security space, uh, cybersecurity space. So, and uh, he, he got this put up on motherboard and it's actually from like, October 6th. Uh, 2016, but uh, let's read it here. Brian Krebs is a popular reporter on the cybersecurity beat. He regularly exposes cyber criminals and their tactics, and consequently is regularly a target of their ire. Last month, he wrote about an online attack for higher service that resulted in the arrest of the two proprietors. In the aftermath, his site was taken down by a massive DDoS attack. In many ways, this is nothing new. Uh, distributed denial of service attacks are a family of attacks that cause websites and other interconnected systems to crash by overloading them with traffic. Uh, the distributed part means that other insecure computers on the internet, sometimes in the millions are recruited to a botnet to unwittingly participate in the attack. The tactics are decades old. DDoS attacks are per perpetrated by lone hackers trying to be annoying criminals, trying to extort money and governments testing their tactics. There are defenses and there are companies that offer DDoS. DDoS uh, mitigation services for hire. Basically, it's a size versus size game. If the attackers can cobble together a fire hose of data bigger than the defender's capability to cope with, they win. If the defenders can increase their capability in the face of attack, they win. Now, Stallion here breaking in. This is interesting because this was uh, this is dated, as I said, October 6th, 2016. What happened on October 21st, 2016? There was that internet blackout, right? That was because of Dyne and various AWS, which not a shock for AWS, right? They can't even sell you a fucking Nintendo. As we've said. But that's interesting that, you know, here's Bruce, like way ahead of the curve saying, look, this is going to create, this is going to cause a problem. And then two weeks later, boom, there's the problem. Mm -hmm. This is why when I talked about what happened on October 21st, when I talked about that little internet blackout, you know, I said, it's like, look, 
People have been telling you forever that this was going to happen. People have been saying it for a while and they were even saying it, you know, even just a couple weeks before there was, I mean, not that all of this is necessarily anything new from Bruce Schneier. Okay. You know, they've been telling you, this is what it'll get used for. This is what will happen because that's what did it was a DDoS botnet using probably millions of IOT devices. That's what shut down Dyn and, and, and parts of AWS. So people can't say, well, we didn't know. No, people told you. We, you know, on, on, on the biggest news sources there are out there, you know, people said, I've said, don't do this. You're creating gateways. You're creating exploits just by the very nature of IoT itself. That's why it's a bad idea right out of the gate. Reading on. What was, what was new about the Krebs attack was both the massive scale and the particular devices the attackers recruited. Instead of using traditional computers for their botnet, they used CCTV cameras, digital video recorders, home routers, and other embedded computers attached to the Internet as part of the Internet of Things. Much has been written about how the IoT, how the IoT is wildly insecure. In fact, the software used to attack Krebs was simple and amateurish. What this attack demonstrates is that the economics of the, of the IoT mean that it will remain insecure unless government steps in to fix the problem. This is a market failure that can't get fixed on its own. All right, now we got to stop right there. <laughs> Bruce, you were talking some serious sense, and then, baby, you just, you just went off the rails. How? How? Could government possibly solve this problem? Especially when the president-elect at the moment, Trump, doesn't even use a fucking computer. How? It's true, folks. All he uses is an Android. He uses an Android phone, and then one of his aides uses iOS. So maybe even he might know a little bit about iOS. Which that ain't a computer, baby. Let's read on. Our computers and smartphones are as secure as they are because there are teams of security engineers working on the problem. Companies like Microsoft, Apple, and Google spend a lot of time testing their code before it's released and quickly patch vulnerabilities when they're discovered. These, those companies can support such teams because those companies make a huge amount of money, either directly or indirectly from their software, and in part be, uh, compete on its own security. This isn't true of embedded systems like digital video recorders or home routers. Those systems are sold at a much lower margin and are often built by offshore third parties. The companies involved simply don't have the expertise to make them secure. Even worse, most of these devices don't have any way to be patched. Even though the source code to the botnet that attacked Krebs has been made public, we can't update the affected devices. Microsoft delivers security patches to your computer once a month. Apple does it just as regularly, but not on a fixed schedule. But the only way for you to update the firmware in your home router is to throw it away and buy a new one. So I want to stop there for a second, and this is a very important point to address. Okay, and that is, is that, look, even if, even the reason that a lot of these things and the bulk of people that are going to buy into IOT and they think, Oh, well, that's really cool. Then my, I don't know. I could shut my water off from a thousand miles away. Isn't that something, you know, I mean the, the people like that buy into this nonsense are, you know, generally people who might not even want to really spend a lot of money on it. I don't or whatever it happens to be that, you know, the turning the water off from a thousand miles away isn't the best example. Okay. But a lot of people, you know, eventually if you want IOT to work, you can't, you're not, you're not going to just sell to the ultra rich, right? You're going, you know, you're going to, you're not just going to sell to people that can afford $300 devices. You're going to end up selling it to people who maybe got a smart things, um, uh, you know, capability or, you know, smart things box built into their new Samsung television. Okay. And 
you know, then they're going to buy little 10, 20, maybe $30 devices from wherever. Okay. And, and I'm not making fun of China. It could be in America too. Okay. Uh, you know, from wherever that have that to keep the cost down, to sell it at a point to where you could get as many people as possible buying it. Okay. To keep that price down. They can't afford to build in the ability to update. They can't afford security, which is kind of the point that Bruce Schneier is making here is that Microsoft and, uh, uh, you know, and Apple and all them. Okay. They can afford to, to effectively have the loss leader of security in their, you know, in their, in their IOT or whatever kind of devices that they sell. Right. But most of these other little companies that make all the shit, they can't. It's just not part of the program. That's, you know, I keep telling you, I mean, you, you, it's really true. You get what you pay for. And if you pay for a little, either, you know, it might be high quality, but they put a bunch of ad tech or some other, you know, advertising or some other bullshit on there uh, that, that potentially makes it insecure, or they didn't put any security whatsoever. And that's part of why something is so cheap. I mean, yeah, things are getting cheaper, but some of the things that have gotten cheaper really shouldn't be cheaper yet. You know, that, that's a, that's a, a theme that we keep bringing up on sovereign tech. Um, I want to read, I want to read more of this. So, but that, that is really, really key that look, you know, buying the cheap IOT stuff is a problem in and of itself that, you know, there, there is no security for these things unless it's cheap IOT. And it's some kind of a loss leader say coming from, you know, alphabet, you know, Google, um, Microsoft or, you know, Apple, one of the, or Amazon, you know, one of these big companies. Uh, anyway, let me read on here. The security of our computers and phones also comes from the fact that we replace them regularly. We buy new laptops every few years. We get new phones even more frequently. This isn't true for all of the embedded IOT systems. They last for years, even decades. We might buy a new DVR every five or 10 years. We replace our, our refrigerator every 25 years stallion breaking. And let me tell you something. Some of these new refrigerators, I know from personal experience, you're lucky if they last you a year fuck that shit that i mean <laughs> i hate to say it like i i think these things should last 25 years i think they should last decades i wash my clothes in washers and dry you know in a washer that's probably 20 30 years old and it does a damn fine job triple black baby Woo. That's how things I think like that should last. When you lay down that amount of money, that's how perhaps how much it should last. Okay. Uh, building IOT into this stuff. Yeah. That's going to become a real problem because who's going to update this stuff. Are you going to have to keep reconfiguring? Say it runs on even say something like Android. Are you going to have to keep reconfiguring Android to be able, you know, to, to work with this? I mean, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of these security guys are, are looking at this at IOT saying, holy shit, this is a real problem. And yet they give no sympathy for the devil. That being Microsoft. Okay. Where windows has had to work backwards compatible with so many things for so long and somehow it's done a, an okay job. It's not done a perfect job. If you could even do a perfect job of that, somehow it's done an okay job of making sure windows works on hardware that's been around for decades. Right. <laughs> I mean, give those guys a little bit of credit. They made the Swiss army knife of operating systems. You think everybody else is going to be, you know, man, Anyway, already the banking industry is dealing with security problems, speaking of the devil, of Windows 95 embedded in ATMs. Well, I mean, and, and that becomes the thing, too, right? Even Windows has to, or even Microsoft has to come out and say, how long do we support Windows for? I mean, how old is XP? It's 17 years old. We got to keep on going. And they keep coming out with security patches and all this, uh, you know, to, to kind of handle the issue. So, but it's funny. I mean, really, that speaks more about the banking industry. They should apparently have all the money in the world 
to where that they could update this stuff and they don't. So even people that have money won't think to update all of their systems. Don't so much perhaps blame Microsoft. I give them credit for, for updating, you know, XP for fucking almost 20 years. That's remarkable. This same problem reading on is going to occur all over uh, the internet of things. The market can't here, here we run into this problem and I'm going to address this. The market can't fix this because neither the buyer nor the seller cares. Think of all of the CCT cameras and DVRs used in the attack against Brian Krebs. Okay. First point, Bruce, you're right about that. You're, you're right about the fact that they don't care. You're not right about the market, but you're right that they don't care. Let's read on. The owners of those devices don't care. Yes, this is true. Reading on. Their devices were cheap to buy. They still work, and they don't even know Brian. You know, that being Brian Krebs, not Brian Sovereign. Uh, the sellers of those devices don't care. They're now selling newer and better models, and the original buyers only cared about price and features. There is no market solution because the insecurity is what economists call an externality. It's an effect of the purchasing decision that affects other people. Think of it kind of like invisible pollution. What this all what this all means is that the IoT will remain insecure unless government steps in and fixes the problem. When we have market failures, government is the only solution. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm reading this. Oh, great Satan. All right. Um the government could impose security regulations on IoT manufacturers, forcing them to make their devices secure even though their customers don't care. Uh, they, they could impose liabilities on manufacturers, allowing people like Brian Krebs to sue them. Any of these would raise the cost of security and give companies incentives to spend money making their devices secure. All right, I'm going to read the last paragraph and then I'm going to address all that. Of course, reading on, this would only be a domestic solution to an international problem. The Internet is global and attackers can just as easily build a botnet out of IoT devices from Asia as from the United States. Long term, we need to build an Internet that is resilient against attacks like this. But that's a long time coming. In the meantime, you can expect more attacks that leverage insecure IoT devices. All right. I want to touch on the point in the last paragraph. Then I want to get on the whole government market shit um, <laughs> from Bruce, who really should be smarter. Uh, yeah. So, OK, I like the fact that he's saying we're going to need a, to need to build a more secure Internet. Now, this is the thing. And this is a point I've brought up before is that. How do you solve DDoS attacks? I mean, there, there's some there's some mitigating features that that some people are developing, like you know, uh, smart cache and all this different stuff, right? Smart C A C H E. Okay, uh, but really, yes, it needs an entirely rethought internet. It needs a new internet, not just a new World Wide Web. It needs a new infrastructure. Like it might even need effectively a new infrastructure. Just I mean, a new way that things works. Perhaps servers are the problem, right? I mean, that's that's what the DDoS goes after. You know, that's what the attack goes after, right? Okay. I mean, you know, this is something to consider now that I agree with him that that future is a good distance away if there was an actual replacement for that sort of thing. Okay. But, um, you know, so servers are here now, use them, go for it. Big iron is certainly a lot better than a lot of the peer to peer technologies that are available today. Okay. I'm not saying don't use servers, you know, at, at this point in time, of course not. Um, and if you're going to use the server, woo, jump on agarshosting.com, baby. <laughs> uh, but my point being is that, yeah, there, the way that the internet works now, there's nothing you can really do about DDoS attacks without fundamentally changing its entire operation. Okay, and that's what Bruce is admitting here, and it's what I've said before and got called crazy for. Well, okay, I guess I'm not so crazy. Um, so, so there's that. So good, yes, let's build multiple internets. Let's do that, even if they're server-based, wh whatever. Let, let's get that happening. Let's get mesh networks going. Fine, great. All right, now, um, as far as the government and market problem, 
this is where I just, you know, I so totally fucking disagree with Bruce. Government regulation would not solve this. It absolutely would not solve this. For one, it's never even going to pass. Okay. You think Google and, and, and Samsung or Samsung, as I like to call them, and a bunch of these other companies, you think they don't have lobbyists that, that could thwart, you know, just pretty much any, you know, any kind of legislation that would work against them? Fuck yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, there's just that's not going to solve shit. You're not going to get government regulation that is going to work against, you know, some of these big companies. Is it going to work against little companies? Sure. But then what are you doing? That law, you know, law voting in law. I mean, they're like they're like nuclear bombs. They're proverbial nuclear bombs because they don't just affect one person. They don't just affect one industry. They affect widespread industries. And you're kidding yourself if you think that you're going to just like pass the Internet of Things Act and all it's going to do is address companies that make IoT devices. No way. It's going to affect the entire tech industry. And who knows who it's going to fuck? Who knows who it's going to screw over? Never hand somebody a gun if you don't know where they're going to point it. Folks, I'll tell you, never hand anybody a gun. But you get my point. That is the dumbest idea in the world, and it is eons more impractical than the actual solution. Because that's what some people would say, is that the real solution is completely impractical. Okay, because the real solution is is to educate people, and they would say, well, that's impractical because you can't fix stupid. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but the, the real impracticality is thinking that somehow you're going to pass something that doesn't have, uh, ex, you know, for the, ter- the economic term that Bruce Schneier even used externalities, the thing that's not going to have externalities, that's not going to have unseen consequences as it was called, as it would be called before. It's never going to happen. You're going to do more harm than good, perhaps more harm than IOT does. The real solution is to educate people. The real solution is to, you know, to, to, to get people, you know, look, understand that this is how this works, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I mean, the real solution is like, it's funny. You'd think there would be the incentive for say companies like time Warner and all of them to really come out and be like, okay, um, you know, we're going to, we will sell you since we are your internet service provider. We will sell you say a specific device, a very secure device or not sell it, maybe rent it. I mean, that's, that's what they do now, right? With the routers and modems. Um, and that device, you know, you can't replace it. If you want to replace it, you're going to have to go through, you know, there'd be some degree of hoops perhaps that you'd have to go through, uh, to where you could replace it with something, you know, and, and they could somehow know, you know, that, yeah, you know what you're doing right. To be able to do that. I mean, like, but just educate people, let them know, look, if you replace this, you don't understand what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be mass hysteria in the streets. You know, I mean, women killing their babies. I mean, it's, it's going to be madness, right? I mean, that like, that's, that's kind of you know, educate people. Let them know what this stuff means, what it does, or for fuck's sake, you know, like if I was an ISP, I would be so anti-internet of things. Really, I would. I'd be saying, no, you're going to kill my entire business if you people, you know, start start connecting all this. And I would start campaigning. I would run, especially if I was like a, a cable company, I'd start running commercials. I, I would run the most dastardly ads saying, you know, like I said, showing IoT, creating chaos in the streets, you know, fires, you know, suddenly manhole covers are blowing off because you bought a smart things device. That's what I'd do. I'd scare the shit out of people because it's not that far off from being real. October 21st is kind of proof of that for a lot of people. People were scared. 
I mean, there are here, here's the easiest thing in the world to do. Guess what? If you buy into IOT, you will never see Netflix again. I guarantee you people will, I mean, they will be returning. Kmart won't, won't, won't know what to do with all the IOT things that would get returned. Uh, you know, Walmart won't know what to do. These companies won't know what to do. I mean, their, their, their heads will spin. If you tell people you're going to lose your TV, if that shit, I mean, don't forcefully take their TV away from them, of course, but just educate them, explain to them that this could affect Netflix. And I guarantee people, will be like, oh my God, please don't hurt my Netflix. I can't live without Netflix. Think I'm wrong? Education is the key. Letting people know. Okay, you don't have to use fear tactics. I don't really care for those. I'm, I'm kind of being funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you know, it's one of the oldest sayings in the book is that like, look, you know, the government could do whatever the hell they want. But if, if anything they ever did affected television, people would be lining up around, you know, the city hall saying, get the hell out of here, you fuckers. You know, I mean, it's true. That's the solution. Education. The market can solve it, Bruce Schneier. I love you, man, but you are so off base and your dreams are so fucking impractical. I guarantee you one good campaign ad or not campaign, uh, but not, not like a, 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 a political campaign, but one campaign against IOT, one really good one could crush, in my opinion, the entire fucking, uh, you know, concept, the entire uh, industry category. And that's really what, what needs to go down. And I think it is in a lot of like ISPs and a lot of different companies, it is in their best interest to fund that campaign. So there you have it, you know, and then, I mean, then you don't have to, you know, no laws, you don't need to do anything. Just, just, just let people fucking know what's going on. That IOT is inherently a problem and there's no way that you know, the average schmo is going to be able to buy IOT, okay, and have it have, you know, security that wouldn't at some point, which it did, shut down Netflix. Let them know. There you go. Woo! All right. I'll be back with some more. <laughs> You're listening to Sovereign Tech. All right, Sovereign Tech listeners, you know what time it is, and it's time for me to tell you about how you can secure some value, secure your wealth all the good stuff and how you can do it by spending some real money. And that real money, of course, is nothing less than Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin preferred business. If you want to get your hands on some precious metals and believe me, the golden stallion believes in getting golden. Okay. If you want to get your hands on some precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, all the good stuff, all different kinds of coins, all whatever you want. I want you to go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Okay. Again, they are Bitcoin preferred. This is, I say this for a lot of things, or I don't say this for a lot of things. I really mean it when I say it here. This is one of the best businesses in the world. They are one of the best people to just, just straight up deal with. They're phenomenal. Okay. So I want you to go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. You can go to gold.zog.ninja or you can go to rrbi.co, whatever one you remember easier. But just let them know when you, when you buy from them or you can sell to them too. They, they'll, they'll buy from you. Let them know the Golden Stallion sent you. Believe me, they'll know who you're talking about, okay? They are listeners of this show. They are fans of this show. And I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. So go get golden, baby. Go get some of that, that good old-fashioned cold storage, the original cold storage, gold and silver, at Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, gold.zog.ninja. All right, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. Got another new segment for you. Uh, like I said, the, the segment, well, I don't know if I said it earlier, but the segment that has the two segments really that have died off now, um, just for the next 25 episodes, maybe I'll bring them back. Um, we've gotten rid of first choice, which was where you could send me in stories. You can still send me in stories. And if, if, you know, it might be one that I'll actually get to, you know, like that I want to do, you know, for the main story of the week. So, or even hack sack or something like that, or IOT, you could send me IOT stories too. Uh, you know, you can still send them to me. I'm just not going to have for the next 25 episodes, at least anyway, I'm not going to have a specific segment to where, uh, you know, I, I do a, a listener only story. Um, but I'll still do listener stories. Believe me, actually the, uh, the IOT one this week came from a listener. So don't, you know, don't worry about, but now this segment, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on this one this week, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go into it further on from, from here out. Uh, this segment is just very simply tech history. Um, and what I want to do is once a week, you know, in this segment, I want to cover some aspect of the history of tech. Um, and maybe it's something that is even relevant to today. Maybe it's something that people are using today, but you didn't know was already built 20 years ago and just wasn't very popular or didn't take off, or maybe was missing a feature or something like this, or we'll talk about some classic hardware. Uh, you, you know, all of these different things. I want this to be, you know, we're just talking about education. I want this to be like a super educational segment. Uh, for people and for people to get a sense of history, because that's the thing is that, you know, one of the main, one of the most important areas for people to learn about, but our education system overall makes so boring or either fills with a bunch of bullshit, like on the history channel. Um, one of the most important, you know, subjects, I guess I'll say to learn about is history because it allows you history while the future doesn't have to repeat what the history, you know, what, what, what has happened historically. Uh, it does give you a gauge to look at the present and the future with. All right. And so I think history is just so fucking key. And as I've said so many times on the show, I am a gamer first, a historian second, and I'm a tech journalist third. So if I can bring up the history quite a bit more, I am more than happy to do it. And who knows, maybe at some point tech history will actually get into some really, really ancient history, which I know sovereign tech listeners love when I get into that. Uh, so tech history is going to be a fun one. Um, I, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into anything specific, uh, this week. I just wanted to let you know that this is what the segment's going to be. This is what's, what it's going to be about. Uh, we kind of already did sort of a tech history with earlier, you know, earlier in this show when we talked about the NES classic and all this, um, but yeah, and, and sometimes I'll just bring up, I'll be bringing up, you know, personal experiences, um, like the first one I've got lined up, I, I can let you know what that is. I'm going to talk about the Commodore 64, uh, because it was really, it wasn't my first, I know it wasn't my first computer. I know it wasn't the first computer in the house. Okay. When growing up, right. And I was born in 81. All right. I know it wasn't the first computer in the house, but for me, it was the first one that I actually got my hands on, like really got my hands on. You know, I know we had Atari computers and I don't mean like the Atari 2600. I mean like the eight bits, uh, you know, the, the real entire computers. Um, but even then I really, you know, my dad would pop in, uh, you know, pop in the cartridge for whatever game, like there was a mountain game that we'd play and, uh, you know, and I'd use the joystick or something. So the real computer that I actually used like a computer, uh, was the Commodore 64. So I'm going to be talking about that, uh, next week. Um, and well, you know, I did, you know, now thinking about it, I actually did have a TRS 80 that, um, that, that I used, uh, it was a radio shack or what Tandy, right. Um, that, uh, <laughs> they became interchangeable <laughs> at one point. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I remember playing, was it not Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Master or something like that. It was all vector graphics. So it was really cool. Uh, but whatever. Anyway, my first, the first real computer I ever, I ever used was the Commodore 64. So I'm going to be talking about that next week. Anyway, and if you have something like maybe there, you can even email me if you want. Okay. You can hit the email address bbs at sovereigntech.com. Okay. It, or you can go to the contact page on zog.ninja and I'll still get it. Um, if you know, just go to contact.zog.ninja and that'll guarantee that I, I see whatever you're sending me. Um, or you can get me on Twitter too, but if there's like something in, you know, something like some bit of tech history you want to know about, or some bit of history you want to know about, go ahead and message me and I'll, I'll line it up, you know, and, and, and maybe see if I can get into it. Uh, of course the, the easiest way for me to talk about what you want me to talk about is to become a patron is to, you know, to, to jump on board, Patreon, just go to sovereigntech.com and you can get the hookup. Uh, then you get pretty much guaranteed that I'll get to your question. Maybe not right away because I have a ton of questions to get to, but I will get to it. Uh, so anyway, tech history, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to share some of these stories with you, some of these personal stories, um, you know, that, that I've experienced in, in my years, my 35 years uh, around the sun. Um, and, you know, and, and even going far beyond that, you know, just talking about things far beyond, uh, because I, again, it's so, so important, especially today, even though like we were talking about earlier with Microsoft, where look, Microsoft, Apple, you know, all these companies that, you know, 10 years ago, you'd look at totally different. I mean, they're, they're different companies now. Microsoft is not the Microsoft of your, not even close. And that's not some marketing slogan. Like really, they are a totally different fucking company. It's ridiculous. I mean, or not ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's, it's, it, I think it's largely a good thing what they, what they're doing. Um, but it's just crazy because you'd never would have expected that. I mean, you know, why would Microsoft do any of the shit they're doing now? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so tech history, can't wait to share a lot of that history with you. I know I, I'm, I'm fairly certain a lot of people would be excited about this segment. Uh, so anyway, I'll be right back with more. You're listening to Sovereign Tech. Now, baby, I got to tell you. When I want to keep an eye on things, all things going on in the cryptocurrency space, when I want to keep an eye on prices, when I want to know about the new tools, the new wallets, or what are the best ones to use, all of that stuff, or when I want to get social when it comes to cryptocurrency, I go to CryptoCompare.com. These, oh man, I mean, I love this website. I'm not kidding when I say I leave it open 24-7 on my big rig I mean, it's just, it's ready for whenever a question comes up for me for Sovereign Tech about, a, about you know, something in crypto or whatever, you know, I'm always checking that out. Uh, and just, just to keep an eye on things, just to know what's going on, to, you know, to keep fresh, keep that flavor going. Uh, I, I mean, and they list off everything, you know, Bitcoin, all your altcoins, they, you know, they're, they're, they got you covered. So I want you to check out CryptoCompare.com and I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. All right, let's get back to the show. Climax. Woo! It is time for you knew this segment wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Game talk's gone, first choice is gone, but you knew this one wouldn't go. It is time for the climax, baby. Woo! <laughs> Where I get to talk about it's my favorite part of the show. I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It doesn't even have to be tech related, uh, but it often is. You know, so we we get to talk. You know, I could talk about books, a topic, movies, uh, uh, television shows. I mean, you name it. In fact, I saw Arrival this week. I I, I took out uh, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on a little date night. We hopped into Red Wolf and, and went and caught a movie. <laughs> Actually, it was awesome. Uh, it was in a hundred year old theater. It was. It was uh, I I'm not saying the movie was. I'm saying the the, the night was oh 
It was awesome. Uh, but anyway, uh, Arrival, uh, we did, a, Stephanie and I actually did a review, uh, kind of a shorter review, but a review of Arrival um, on, on, on a Q&A episode for Patreon. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear that, go for it. Um, but, and I, I might, I might do, I might do a full on review maybe at some point in the, in the, you know, in the far future here <laughs> of arrival on, uh, on sovereign tech. But anyway, uh, I'm not, I'm not it, point being, I'm not going to make movie reviews exclusive in any way to Patreon. It just, that's how it worked out, uh, this week. So, but for this week's climax, um, I definitely have a topic that I, that I want to, that I want to bring up and that I want to address. And it's the topic that for about a week and maybe even still now, though, I see a lot of it quieting down and, and, you know, in some ways I'm glad in some ways I'm not. Um, but a topic that's, that was really on everybody's lips. And that is, you know, we had the, uh, in the U S here, we had the elections, um, and Donald Trump of all people is now, um, or he is president elect, you know, come January, he's going to be president of the United States. Uh, now I talked about this briefly, you know, speaking of Patreon, I did talk about it briefly in an opening of an episode to that. Uh, and well, I'm going to talk about it here I, and only because, so I generally don't really like to get into the nitty gritty of politics as in like, you know, kind of more of the, the, the sports center style politics that I know a lot of, uh, a lot of other podcasters are, you know, really big on. And that's why part of the reason I don't do it. I mean, a, I can't stand it. B there's plenty of other people that do it. Like if you want to go, you know, hear about, if you want to listen to politics or, you know, maybe more political stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people covering it. Okay. And because some of the shows that cover it, I love those shows. I mean, you know, go listen to the lava flow podcast or something, you know, I mean, I mean, go, go, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch you could go to that, uh, you know, if you want to hear about the nitty gritty politics and all this and, you know, what various laws mean and blah, 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 you know, go to them. You don't have to come to me, but I had a few people, you know, ask me about, you know, what do you think about all this? Actually, quite a few people asked me about all of it and they said they would hope I would talk about it. And so, you know what? Fine. I'll talk a little bit about it because Donald Trump is the, in many ways, the rare president and it's not just Donald Trump. It could have been Hillary, you know, whoever it ended up being is really residing over. And, and Obama was, was definitely probably the first, you know, to, to, to be in this situation you know, is, is going to be residing over and have some degree of control over a, you know, the, the, like a very, a very powerful tech world, a very powerful tech industry. Shall we put it that way? Um, and so I, it, it's, it's pretty relevant, you know, to, to what I talk about on this show. Uh, I mean, and you have people like we were just talking about a couple segments ago, we have people like Bruce Schneider saying, oh, the government's got to step in and this IOT thing. No, no, stay the fuck out of it. That's how things get fucked up is when the government steps into it. You know, we were able to get the PC revolution happened because the government wasn't paying attention <laughs> or at least they weren't regulating. So um, so, you know, th there's whoever was going to end up being president. There are reason for concerns. Now there, I think there are in, in, as far as from a tech angle, there are a lot more reasons, reasons for concern. I think with having, uh, you know, with, with, with having Donald Trump being the president. Okay. Because again, like I said, this is a guy that doesn't even use a computer by his own admission. 
He just doesn't do it. He has other people do it. Okay. Now, if you want to crack the joke, well, he's such an idiot. You know, it's a good thing. He's not behind a computer. Okay, fine. Crack that joke. All right. But it's, it's a little concerning. I mean, this is one of the positive things that some people spun about Obama, right? Was that he's a very tech savvy, um, you know, very, very tech savvy person, you know, president and whatever. And he was big about, you know, getting kids into coding and all this shit. Right. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that's positive. Look, I'm an anarchist. There's nothing positive about any politician. There's nothing. There's nothing to say. So don't, don't confuse me. I'm just, you know, maybe speaking from a, a conventional, you know, viewpoint for a second there, which I don't think conventionally. So just, just playing a little devil's advocate, I guess. Um, so I, I have some very real concerns, uh, you know, about Trump, uh, certainly from a tech angle. And obviously I'm not the only one. Uh, there are a lot of people. In fact, I, I, the, the, uh, uh, uh statistic that I got about the use of signal is that suddenly, and I saw it too. I mean, even on my own phone, suddenly, uh, Hey, this person's on signal, say hi, you know, like a bunch of people just signed into signal. And then finally I found a number and apparently signal has seen a 400% increase in usage and signups. Um, since Donald Trump was, you know, became president elect. And I mean, that's, that's only a good thing, you know, great. <laughs> I'm glad that people are jumping on, you know, starting to use secure communications and all this stuff. And as we've said before, I mean, what did Hillary Clinton's campaign team use to communicate with each other? They use signal. Uh, so <laughs> not that she knows a whole lot about security, <clears throat> email leaks, uh, but whatever. So I'm glad about this. Uh, I see a lot of people. I mean, I'm not glad about why, because the why is that a lot of people are very scared. Um, in some cases, I think they are, they have very good reasons to be concerned. In other cases, I think it might do people best to wait and see exactly what happens. Uh, because, you know, let me, let me tell you something. And I think I might've talked about this on sex and science hour in the, uh, in the very recent past. Uh, when, when people get into that office, into the president's office, things change. They could have all the fancy rhetoric and they could, oh, shine all the light on the truth about the media and that the system's rigged and all this stuff. They can say that all they want. They could even come out and say government is the problem. Who said that? Ronald Reagan? But yet Ronald Reagan is, you know, I mean, grew the government significantly. And that's my point is that, you know, all the rhetoric that gets done on the campaign trail could be could become meaningless. And even even like, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about Trump, how he had, you know, he laid out what he's going to do in his first hundred days and all this. A lot of that could end up not becoming true. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pay attention and keep a watch out. OK, I think I think that's that's totally legit to do so. Um, but once he sits in that big chair. You know. I mean, he, he might just become a part of the system, just like Hillary Clinton would have been, which is why a lot of people thought Hillary Clinton was going to win myself included. I, I really thought she had it in, you know, in the bag, but you know, even, and there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other points to this too. Like, I know a lot of people are like, well, at least we have Donald Trump and that means we won't be going to war with Russia. Uh, so let's see the first thing that we know for sure that at least Donald Trump wants to do. I mean, it's tough with Donald Trump because he constantly contradicts himself. I mean, like full stop, like you really don't, a lot of things you really aren't sure exactly what he thinks, um, about things, but you know, his first hundred days, 
so that the, you would hope that those are somewhat concrete statements on his part, and they largely read like that. Um, one of the things that he said he's going to do is he's going to reestablish and put more funding into, uh, you know, rebuilding military bases that were closed within the United States. Now, interestingly, those a lot of those military bases uh, were closed by Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. Um, so, you know, I'm not seeing it's like, oh, we're not going to war with Russia. OK, well, is the war machine going away then? No, it's actually going to grow by President Trump's president elect Trump's own uh, desires for his first 100 days. Whether or not that's going to actually end up happening, you know, and become a thing. Well, that's another story. OK, but that's that that's the phrase that, that, that we have from him on that. Now, there's a bunch of other statements that that he's made. I mean, I, I could go on and on. You know, we could talk about how uh, he thinks that, you know, that there should have there was he made a tweet that said and he's very good at Twitter. He's not great at tech, but obviously he's great at Twitter. But he he made a tweet when Romney was running for president where he said something to the effect of, you know, if you know, if, if the popular vote doesn't win the election, there should be a revolution. So honestly, what's happening right now with people freaking out. And I know everybody wants to make fun of these people for freaking out about Trump. Don't make fun of them. Good. It's about time. They got concerned about the fact that there's somebody ruling over them. They have a right to be concerned about that. But frankly, the revolution that's going on right now, and a lot of people are like, oh, there's riots in Portland, there's all, you know, or riots wherever else. And, and I get it. And I, I know those are concerning. And I, you know, I don't want anybody getting hurt. And I don't want anything destroyed. I'm, I'm not I'm not for any of that. I'm not for violence. Um, but honestly, this is what Donald Trump said should happen, because Hillary won the popular vote. Now, there's an argument about the whole popular vote thing, you know, uh, well, but if you don't count California, then Hillary didn't win shit. Right. Like California just automatically gives, you know, a Democrat, the popular voter, you know, like the, the, those are kind of the, the these lines of logic that, that, that get laid out about this sort of thing. OK, fine. You know, if you want to get into all that nuance, oh, go for it. But like I said, there's other shows to do that with. Sovereign Tech is not here for that purpose. OK, I, I'm trying to say to you, I know your opinion is out there. I know you think that way. I know some of these facts are out there. I'm just you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there that I know I don't care. I'm not, I, I really, I don't, I don't want to have the conversation on, you know, on a lot of that stuff. I'm just, you know, bringing up what I'm aware of. So, you know, I mean, like I said, that's, that's what's happening. And I mean, honestly, like, like Trump supporters should be saying, well, yeah, Trump said that's what should happen. So we should be okay with it. Right. Right. So and there's a lot of other things that Trump has said that that are, you know, that are very interesting. You know, there are reasons to be concerned about this guy. There's reasons to be concerned about any politician. Absolutely. Should it be greater with him? Maybe, maybe not. There are absolutely legitimate concerns with anybody in power. And you better talk about him. You better fucking talk about him. How about this? A lot of people forgot this one. He said he wanted to shut down Apple. He said Apple, because of the San Bernardino case that we mentioned earlier, where Apple wouldn't unlock the phone. I mean, their their claim was that they couldn't, but that they wouldn't do it. He says, well, then, you know, legislate that company out of existence. That was on the campaign trail that he said that that, that company should just die and, and get rid of it. Is he going to make good on that promise? Can we get that one? This guy's crazy. Hillary's crazy too, no doubt about it. But I mean, this guy, like this guy, you know, every, every statement he makes 
is is there 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 really is not logic behind it. it it's all these appeals to emotion, appeals to fear, and and a lot of this. And look, I don't want a guy in charge that does this. I mean, I don't want a guy in charge, but I sure as hell don't want somebody that that appeals with all that horse shit. I mean, then you got stuff you know about registering Muslims. I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, it just it, it's crazy the stuff that this guy's saying. I mean, holy shit, the surveillance state's going to love this guy. And Obama did a hell of a job of handing over a very powerful one to him. It was on, uh, on Boing Boing. Cory Doctorow wrote a very, very impassioned um, and well thought out and logical, uh, you know, write up about, pres- you know, about Trump becoming president saying that, look, this guy doesn't understand how this shit works. You know, and we're going to have to be, but it was a hopeful one. And that's the thing is that it's hopeful, hopeful for me too on Sovereign Tech is that technology allows the, the intelligent, the clever, and the small groups to achieve massive gains against even the largest and most powerful of forces. Peacefully at that. And so when I see that, well, signal use has gone up 400%, awesome. That's step one. Get people encrypting all the goddamn things, everything. And yes, all of this would, should be done even if Clinton got in. I, I'm not denying that, guys and gals and Zs. I'm just saying that we do have a guy that is blatant about the fact that surveillance is a good goddamn thing. That's a problem. And the Golden Stallion is going to talk about it. Get used to it. How many other quotes do I need to pull up? Now, again, maybe he'll just become a part of the system and he won't be able to do jack shit when he gets in. Maybe. We'll just have to see. But I I think it is an absolute fact that, I mean, yes, Hillary Clinton's a sociopath. Yes, this guy is a fucking lunatic. Crap sandwich A, crap sandwich B. Not denying any of that. All right. But we've got some huge fucking issues with a lot of the things that this guy has said. And I hope he doesn't make good on any of it. And the other part that worries me, too, is that it speaks more that. Well, and this is going to lead to another point. It speaks more to the fact that so like so many of these very concerning things, just a couple things that I mentioned, so many concerning things that the American voter completely just said, I, yeah, that's, that's terrible that he said that, but you know, we got to have somebody that sucks that they thought that way. I mean, and, and, and it speaks to the fact like, like that's so bad that we have this culture that is willing to overlook all this shit instead of take the principled stance and say, no, God damn it. We won't have anybody. That's concerning. And yes, it's more concerning. I mean, Hillary said terrible shit, but like, I, I, I really, in my personal opinion, like the, the amount, not necessarily the severity because Hillary, I mean, like when she said she just wanted to off Julian Assange, you know, I mean, come on, that's horrendous. But I mean, the, the raw amount of, of malicious, terrible shit being said certainly goes to Donald Trump, I think. I mean, and that's what he gets for opening his mouth, right? And for using Twitter so much. So, you know, again, the fact that people were willing to overlook all of that, all of those terrible things, 
that bothers me. That really bothers me because I mean, it just says that all these people are dead inside, or it says that all these people are just that horrible that they're like, they're not overlooking it. They think it's okay. And I don't want to believe that. Now in reality though, um, there was a far more interesting metric and I might have mentioned it on some show that I've been on, but it ended up becoming a reality. And I am so glad. And that is that if you counted the amount of people that didn't vote at all, and woo, I am in that number, baby, because I don't vote not because I mean, yeah, it's true. I don't think voting does anything. And I really don't think it does anything. And like I said, there's a good chance Trump can talk all the talk he wants, but once he sits in the chair, yeah, that shit ain't happening. But the real reason I don't vote is just the simple fact that like, I don't think it's ethical to say to someone else, you know, well, my decision is going to lord over you, you know, and the liberty to vote that that's a liberty that doesn't exist. So, but the interesting metric that came out is that for, was it 46.9% of people of, of citizens in the U S didn't vote. And that non vote is far, far and away the winner of the election. That 46.9% blows away what, uh, you know, what, what Hillary, um, and Trump got, or even, you know, Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. So there's almost uh, I mean, I, I, a part of me wants to feel like, I mean, maybe a lot of reasons that these people didn't vote was out of apathy, but there's a part of me that kind of hopes that there's just like, no, I didn't choose these people. There's a part of me that hopes that, you know, maybe even it was a lot of disaffected Bernie Sanders people, which, you know, okay. And they're just like, no, Bernie should have won. We know that. And yeah, there's proof. I mean, that, that, that the whole democratic convention was fudged. So maybe there's hope in the fact that, you know, nobody really won and that we can actually say, no, look, the majority, you know, did not vote for either for any of you. So you are not legitimate. I mean, like, like, I, th I think you can really say that at least to yourself, it's obviously not going to hold any weight in court, but courts are a sham anyway. Uh, you know, but that, that there's, there's something interesting to be taken away from that. And I am curious if, you know, the United States is still here in the next four years and I'm entirely open to it, you know, completely falling apart and I'm okay with it too. Uh, I actually, as long as it's peaceful, you know, uh, I'm all for it. Like let this whole thing fall apart. I mean, again, I've talked about that many times that empires on the average only last 250 years. So, you know, America's time's up. So if there is another election in four years, um, I would love to see what that non-voter, uh, you know, metric looks like. Now there's a chance that of course this will just embolden, you know, voters because they're so terrified of Trump, blah, 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 blah. Uh, some of that terror founded, some of it wait and see, I think. Anyway, uh, I will be keeping an eye on this. You know, I'm not going to turn this into a political show by any means. Um, but you better believe every word that comes out of that guy's mouth. Yeah. And I just, I have this very real concern that, that Trump winning is, I'll just say this. I think it's a resurgence of conservatism. And, and that, that's, that's a much bigger problem than just about anything I could imagine. Uh, because conservatism is all about socially controlling people, you know, nope, you can't fuck anybody in the ass. Nope. You you know, you can't have a, you, a girlfriend can't have a girlfriend and a boyfriend can't have a boyfriend. Um, I mean, conservatism is, I mean, that's, that's what's really held back so much. That's what's really allowed government to thrive. In my opinion, conservatism is just 
a terrible, terrible fucking thing. And there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, Trump winning was conservatism, you know, getting a resurgence, not to say he's conservative, but just that, you know, I mean, because it wasn't just Trump that won the entire house, the entire Senate, it's all Republican, you know, it's Republican majority now. So, it's, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about than just Trump. And I think, you know, this, that's my, that's one of my, aside from the surveillance thing, on a philosophical level, that's one of my big concerns is that conservatism is, is really coming back. And, uh, well, I'll be keeping an eye on that too. And that's why from here on out, like I said, uh, you know, kind of earlier in the show, I mean, I'm just going to ramp everything up. This, this show is going to be so, so degenerate. So hmm, what's some other good words? Debaucherous. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to turn it up to fucking 13 because of this so that's enough for this week Woo! <laughs> uh man gonna be a hell of a ride <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be something else as the old chinese proverb goes may you live in interesting times well i wish that proverb didn't exist because i wouldn't mind some not so interesting times <laughs> my life's interesting enough anyway uh if you want to donate to the show please patreon.com slash sovereign actually just go to sovereign it'll take you right to the patreon page and join us because we have a good time with everything that goes on there baby Woo! i'll see you on the other side you just experienced sovereign tech go to sovereigntech.com. that's s-o-v-r-y-n tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Evolution.